to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we have David. It's us. It's the Spoopy Boys. Still us. Still here. Also known as Nightly. On the other end there, we have Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. We are a group of knights. Actually, sorry, excuse me. Before I get to that part. That's also known as Nighty Night. But we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's like with a what? Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now... Continuing things, keeping things going with our Family Trauma Month. This is actually our last one, but keeping things going with Family Trauma Month, also known as Family is Where Hell Is. You know, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving with your family. And uh, if you were with your family, hopefully you were safe and hopefully everyone just kind of was staying as safe as possible during that time. But because uh, this is a very strange time, <laughs> but hopefully you did have a great Thanksgiving for us United States folks. Um but if you didn't, great, you're with us. But <laughs> if you did, hopefully you did. But with that, long overdue, something we've got requested so many times, so many times. I'm not even joking. I, I, I could probably count past my hand on how many times we've gotten this movie requested for us to do. And finally, we've gotten to it. We are talking about Ari Aster's Hereditary. First and foremost, thoughts. This movie makes me feel uh, like I am being preyed upon. And Ooh. I think that's what it wants to convey. It, I mean, when I watch this film, this is my second time watching it. And I feel, um, I feel like filthy, if that makes sense. I feel like something keeps dirtying me and I keep trying to clean mm. myself up and I can't clean myself up. Mm. Yeah, and that's how I feel when I watch this film. But I think that's <laughs> such a a proper like feeling to have watching this because this is a slow burn, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think those feelings being conveyed accurately represents probably what our characters are going through in this. Um, right. I love the last twenty minutes of this film. It <sighs> gets so gnarly. Chef kiss. Yeah. The. It's a little slow for me throughout. The first time I watched it, I was like gasping and shouting. I'm like, oh, this is this is crazy, right? And uh, <laughs> uh, and this time around, I was like, I was expecting everything. So I was like, hmm, this isn't hitting as hard. But once you get to those last 20 minutes where yeah. you see Annie and her moving around the space that she occupies, oh my goodness. This so is much so fun. worth it. Yeah, it's fun. Exactly. So um, much fun. Uh, I think it's a good time of the year to watch this, especially with our theme. Right. Um, because all of it is just so fucked up and, <laughs> and you just, you end this film, even though this is my second time I finished it. And I was like, that was just so fucked up. But yeah, like you need to take a shower. Exactly. Yeah. You just yeah. feel filthy. Yeah. Now that's a really good way of putting it. Freddie, what about you? So kind of like David, I saw this for the second time. This time we're going through it. And I gotta say the first time, 
I didn't like this movie. Wasn't for mm-hmm. me. I saw the hype. I saw what it was all about. And I can see why people love it. And I understand why people care so much about this movie. Now watching yeah. it for the second time, going into knowing exactly how this movie plays out and how it's actually formatted and having David saying that it's slow paced. Yeah, we we know that it is something that kind of drags on for me personally. But at the mm-hmm. same time, this is where I change my perspective. It's like, okay, let me focus on the filmmaking aspect of this movie rather than the movie mm-hmm. itself. And when you sure. really look at that, this movie is beautifully shot. It's well-directed. Oh, the acting's incredible. I have to give like all of the accolades to Tony Collette, though. Tony Collette kills oh, it in this role. And honestly, she did deserve the Oscar nomination for this, which Bruh. she did not get, which is Snubbed. a shame on its own. I mean, it, it's insane that she did not even get a nomination. Let alone probably would have won, I think. Probably would have. Yeah. They didn't want to consider this film. The movie itself, I think it's a lot better this time around, at least for me. I do like mm-hmm. it a lot more because I kind of know how how it is. But I have to say, like, it's still not the best movie and people are going to hate me for that. But it's not a no, movie no, no. for me. That's that's completely fair. I, yeah. I I think that is a completely fair analysis. I, I When it comes to this film, I know people who... I don't know anyone who just thinks this film is okay. Like it's either you love it or you hate it. <laughs> it's 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 very interesting in betweens with this film. But um, I'm on the I love it side. I'm a huge Ari Aster fan. I've been watching Ari Aster's shorts um, before. I guess his his announcement of his full feature. Um, and when I heard he was making a full feature, I was like, oh shit! All right, cool. Yeah, I'm into that. And when I finally saw Hereditary. I liked it when I first watched it. And I was just like, okay, that was cool. A little, a little slow. Um, and I, I enjoy slow burns. I really, really like slow burns actually. Um, and that payoff was just fantastic. But the thing is the payoff made me forget about all the, what transpired at the beginning. That's a really good point. I was like, well shit, that was so slow that I kind of forgot why she went bonkers like this. But initially, Second go around made me, as I always say, absolutely adore this film. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably my 20th time watching this movie. Uh, I'm in the 20s for sure uh, when it comes to Hereditary. And watching Hereditary always allows me to watch it in someone else's shoes, I guess, from a different perspective. Um which helps with the storytelling in my opinion, uh, because I need that. My boy, Steve, like, holy shit. (laughs) I feel so bad for him. Yeah. He never had an opportunity to grieve. He never had an opportunity to miss his daughter. He never had an opportunity to do really anything. He, he could, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't keep his family together. He couldn't, he, he tried and he couldn't do shit. And to me, he is the ultimate victim in all of this because he was fucking killed off, not because he was a part of the family. He was killed off because he wasn't blood. Yeah. Like he wasn't their blood. So he was just like immediately just, well, we don't need you. 
Like you're useless to us. It's interesting that you say that, Prince, because this time around I did really see, you know, the perspective of Steve and how shitty everything was for him. And I did not catch that the first time around. I think the first time around I was uh, really looking at through Annie's lens of everything. And And it wants us to. Yeah. um, But this time around, it it felt very, very different from my first time watching it. Um, The first time I was like, dude, I'm into this. And don't get me wrong, I I enjoy it for what it is. Um, the second time around, but like I was really invested and like really stunned and shocked by everything mm. that was going on. Because there are moments mm-hmm. sprinkled throughout the film, even though it's a slow burn. Um, but like it's fun figuring out what's going on and trying to key things together and um, like theorizing what you think may the, the, theorizing what you think the outcome may be. But this time around, I really did gravitate towards Steve's perspective on all of this, and it just mm-hmm. it was just like it was just sad. Like you said, he didn't get a chance to grieve and you really see that expressed, but I think it's very underrated that this, this character's perspective and the entire family dynamic of it all. Right. Because what do you do when like your, your wife is grieving, but also spiraling and then you have the loss of a daughter and it's just, it's just so overwhelming that it's just like you, you can't do anything and that's scary in itself. Right. Exactly. And that's that's one of the main things about this film to me is that you have so many different perspectives that you can watch this movie in. And one thing that was really genius about this movie was the marketing because the trailer yeah. made it feel like this was going to be in Charlie's shoes. And right. it made it feel like this is Charlie's movie. This movie is about Charlie when initially it is. But it, when she's cut off 30 minutes into the film that's when you're just like, holy shit, I guess this isn't about the little girl. This is this is about initially the family as a whole in some aspects where that's why I feel so bad for Steve because – and this is interesting that I feel this way, but I felt like Steve was the outsider in even though it was supposed to feel like Annie was the outsider in because Steve did have a great relationship with his son. Um, and he had a so-so relationship with uh, Charlie. But Charlie was mainly invested into her grandmother, who died. So it's it's things like that that really hunker down and, and take the whole fan, family aspect uh, of the film to a whole new level, in a way, for me. Um, and even on this BM, my 20th so watch, I seeing this now as a father was definitely a lot more intense and a different experience altogether because of Steve and seeing him try to do his best to hold things um, up for his wife and his kid and initially try to be a strong figure and try to not show his sensitivities in a time where Annie is expressing all emotions, everyone, anger, sadness, grief. It's it just all these different emotions. She's exploding out sometimes literally uh, towards Steve. And he never had a moment. We saw him have one moment to himself. And to me, that was one of the most heartbreaking things in the whole film. But it's it's so interesting just seeing it in that lens now because I kind of really put myself into Steve's shoes and was just like, well, fuck, like what would I do? You know, yeah. like I can't, I can't even imagine 
right. that type of loss right now. And just seeing it from Steve's perspective really opened my eyes to to this film in a different light for sure. And I've I've watched this movie in his perspective before, but I I I, I wasn't a father. So like it, it it didn't really still hit me as hard. Um but man, with that being said, I, I always suggest people when they rewatch this film to watch it in someone else's perspective. You know, watch it in Charlie's perspective. Watch it in um maybe uh Ellen's perspective. I know she she dies immediately, but initially if you watch it from her perspective, then you see all the culty shit around right. the house. That's crazy. Like yeah. it, it's insane and there's a lot of uh, hidden clues in this movie where you're like oh that's connected to that oh that's connected to right i do also have to bring up something we're talking about like how great this movie is is uh the score of this movie is really fantastic um i woke up early today i went for a little hike i was out in the little wilderness and i was starting to watch this movie out there and I could hear all of the nature sounds around me and also the score. I'm like, I'm getting creeped out. I'm going to pause this movie. I'm going to watch this. <laughs> That's out. pretty cool. Because I was like, there's a lot of sound stuff. And I don't know if it's from like the real life thing or it's from like the movie. <laughs> so when like that stuff gets mixed in, I'm like, I don't know what's reality or not. And I'm getting creeped out. Yeah. I'm out. So this movie does a really good job at setting the tone with its score. And the score changes a lot in this movie. It does. Which is very really does. fantastic because not a lot of movies do that and they keep a very specific tone. It actually yeah. keeps the tone of what's going on on screen, which is perfection. So I do yeah, have to give I, praise on that. Yeah, I, I think that was created by Colin Stetson. And, and uh, I, I know, I don't know for a fact, but I know that he did to initially get this score or get the inspiration behind this score. He had to, he was like walking outside at night, like late, late, late at night in the wilderness. So it's so funny that you said that because like he, that's how initially how he got the idea behind this. And cause Aster only gave him one note was just like, make it sound evil. And that was it. And he, and that's what he had to take. And it's just like, all right, Let's try to try our best to make this sound evil. So, man. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to jump inside this because I'm very excited to jump into this, um, especially knowing your guys' um, thoughts behind the film in general. And I'm very intrigued to see how they're going to fluctuate or change or maybe get worse. Who knows? I might ruin this movie for you guys. Anyway, Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster, released June 8th, 2018. I did see this opening day, by the way. Runtime of two hours and seven minutes, a budget of $10 million, and a box office of $80.2 million. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Especially for being A24's, I want to say this was maybe A24's third, maybe fourth, but, uh, universal grand theatrical release or whatever. Um, so this is a, even though it's still part of the indie circuit, this was a, a, a full blown, uh, wide release. So nice. pretty cool. And a rating of 89% on rotten tomatoes. We open to an obituary of Ellen taper Lee quote 78 passed away after a prolonged illness at her daughter, 
Annie's house on April 3rd, 2018. Beloved wife of the late Martin Lee, devoted mother of Annie Lee Graham and the late Charles Lee. Cherished grandmother of Peter Graham and Charlie Graham. She is also survived, uh, survived by her son-in-law, Dr. Stephen Graham. She will be missed. Reposing, as, uh, reposing at Kingstone Funeral Home, Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Funeral service to be held on Saturday, 10 a.m. Burial will take place at Spring Blossom Cemetery. Retransition, then cut to, uh, then quick cut to the scene of a treehouse through, through the window of a room. The camera slowly pans throughout the room where all of these miniature home models are. It starts to zoom in closer to a model of, of the Graham's house into Peter's room. The figured, uh, home turns into an actual room of Peter where his dad Steve knocks, uh, knocks and comes into the room, waking him up, suit in hand. Holy shit, this shot. It's Holy a really good one. Holy shit. Yeah. Whew. I've, I've never seen something quite like this before. You're and, right. And it, it just, it kind of gives me goosebumps every time I see that opening shot because it's just like, well, fuck. How'd they do that? Yeah, the transition <laughs> so, is so seamless. I kind of know how they did that. So, oh, yeah. A little backstory is how, how they filmed this movie is that the entire house was a set. So they were able right. to take off the walls of certain areas to make these really clean shots from the camera to move into these different types of rooms. So the transition yeah. between dollhouse to an actual room was kind of not easy, but well maneuvered it, it, for in a us, way it was to make it like seamless. Yeah. So we don't yeah. see the cut, which is fantastic. But yeah, this house Sick. was all a set and all they were able to manipulate the sets in a way to move the camera around each room. That's Which, so cool. It's fantastic. That's so smart. Yeah, genius. Absolutely genius. I know. I know the house on the out outer shot was real. That was, I I think that was really in Utah, but um, yeah, the, the all the end stuff was built on the soundstage, which is so fucking cool. So cool. It must be awkward being an actor, like having to go upstairs on a soundstage and it's just like literally nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like standing on the step on the top stair, just waiting until they say cut. <laughs> so funny. Uh, and his shots are long in this movie. So I'm sure people were just standing around for quite some time. He throws Peter's suit on the bed and asks him if he knows if his sister Charlie slept in her room last night. Peter tells him that he doesn't know, and Steve tells him to get up one last time before heading out of his room. Steve is headed to the treehouse to check on Charlie, while Annie is in the car irritatedly waiting for her family. Steve heads inside the treehouse, angrily waking Charlie, startling her awake even. He reminds her uh, that it is that it was cold last night. And uh, tells her that how she um, tells her that's how she can catch pneumonia. She quickly tells him that's okay. And right off the bat, that's just already odd, right? Like, I mean, she's already very odd in general, right? You know, like as we can we can see that um, she very has she has very unique uh, facial features and um, just a very unique quality of talking and things like that as well. Um, and uh, Millie Shapiro, actually, she's just a fantastic actress in general. Like she does Broadway mainly and she's a fantastic singer. Um, but seeing this play here is so operatic in a way because it, it kind of is like a, a Phantom of the Opera-esque 
in, in a way. And, and it's so, so interesting seeing her concept of quickness um, and sharp conversations and blunt conversations. It's, it's very interesting seeing her react that way towards uh, initially basic questions in a way. So it's very interesting, very unique. Do you think it's um, an attempt to convey to the audience that she may be a little odd in her personality as well? Oh, for sure. Like, think, do you think yeah. her responding that way was that intentional? Yeah. So, so that that's 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 great that you even bring that up because I I do have a theory that um, I do believe payment right. was inside of her the whole time for sure. Oh, I think so too, a hundred percent. And I think. Oh yeah, yeah, wait. I I think I also had that feeling the first time I watched the film. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Right. And I, I have I have things to back up that theory a little bit more. Mostly her but, click. I'd say. But, well, not necessarily the click. Um, because the click I feel like was just kind of like a uh like a not a trigger. I think uh, that's gosh, a, a way to well, indicate. Yeah. A way to yeah. communicate yeah. that she's there. Exactly. Yeah, right. There I think go. that was just yeah. like an indicator. Yeah. It, it's a and I think that was just Charlie's thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was like, uh, at least for me, how I see her clicks was like, that's pretty much Payman being in her shoes right now. That's him like, oh, interesting. Every scene through her eyes. Like every time she came through, that was her clicking. That wasn't really I her. Think, I think the opposite. I think when she clicks, that's her. And I think, I think Payman controls her a majority of the time. But it, it it's very because because when she does the click, she's confused by her surroundings in a way. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Well, this shit getting inter- interested already. Uh, Steve uh, Steve tells her that they are late and that her mother is in the car already to already and to come on. Cut to them at Ellen's funeral with a shot of Ellen's picture of, on the on a couch. Annie gets up to the podium to say a few words for her mother. She starts off by saying that, quote, it is heartening to see so many strange new faces here today, end quote. Why would you fucking say it like that? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so many strange new faces. All right, thanks, bitch. I'll leave. Fuck. She tells the crowd that her mom would be touched and suspicious by, by the turnout. Annie continues with her speech. Quote, my mother was a very secretive and private woman. She had private rituals, private friends, private anxieties. It honestly feels like a betrayal just to be standing here talking about her. She was, vi- she was a very difficult woman to read. If you ever thought you knew what was going on with her, and God forbid you tried to confront that. But when her, well, when her life was unpolluted, she could be the sweetest, warmest, most loving person in the world. She was also incredibly stubborn, which maybe explains me. You could all you could always count on her to always have the answer. And if she ever was mistaken, and well, that was your opinion. And you were wrong. End quote. While she is giving her speech, everyone is going up uh, to Ellen's body to view it. Charlie is looking at her body and notices the necklace that she is wearing. And I love this. I love uh, this uh, pendant that we constantly are seeing in the, this sigil. Um, and just a, another fun fact, actually, that's real. Oh, is that, that is, really? That is the real symbol of payment. Oh, wow. An actual demon. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. for me, it was really cool watching it a second time around and noticing it right right away when, you know, yeah. it didn't even catch my eye the first time. Correctly right. so, right? 
right? And it yeah. it's it's crazy. It's a it's a very subtle subtle thing. Uh, but oh man, what an interesting an interesting concept to kind of include something from actual demonology. Yeah, very interesting. Charlie looks behind her, and there is a man standing there, smiling back at her. This just feels fucking gross and wrong. Yep, this feels disgusting. Um, but in context, in hindsight, uh, in retrospectively looking at it, you see why you understand why this man is smiling at her. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, also during the speech, Peter, Stephen, and Charlie are sitting in the pews listening to Annie. But Stephen's attention is detoured by Charlie clicking her tongue while she crudely draws her mom on the podium. Stephen. Uh, Closes Charlie's book to stop her from drawing during the speech. Cut to a woman going up to Ellen's body and rubbing something on her lips as Charlie watches her from afar. She's slightly curious by this, watching whilst uh, she is eating a chocolate bar. Her dad comes up behind her and asks um, if there's nuts in the chocolate. She shakes her head wide-eyed. No. Um, he takes her by the shoulder out uh, out of the room, and they are walking out, to the fu- out of the funeral home. Annie asks the same question to Stephen um, if that if that candy bar has uh, any nuts in it because they don't have an EpiPen. And beautiful context clue to let us know that Charlie is allergic to nuts. Yeah. Great. Uh, like I said earlier regarding her remark on getting sick, I think this is also for the audience just to, you know, plant the seed that she has an allergy and it's something the family is concerned about. Right. Exactly. Transition to uh, transition back to them pulling up the driveway of the home and heading inside while Steve uh, is greets their dog Rexy while simultaneously telling Charlie to take off her shoes before heading upstairs. Everyone takes their shoes off and Charlie runs upstairs while Peter walks behind her. Steven and Annie stay downstairs to talk about the funeral reception. She tells tells him that uh, it does feel weird and questions if she uh, should be sadder, which is interesting because it's just like. I've I've been in this boat, um, not not to the point of like this, but me not being that close to my mom at all. Even uh, I, I can probably count on my hands how many conversations we've ever had. Um, but a few years back, she had a heart attack, and I didn't know how to feel. I I, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know if I should feel sad. Yeah. I tried to feel sad. Um, but I just more so felt empathy. I didn't feel sad. And it, it was it was such an odd feeling to have that particular feeling from someone who should be nurturing and mothery and, and motherly and all those other jazz. But I never had that from her. I never I never ha- had that opportunity to experience that. So so I this line always hits me really, really hard. Yeah, um, I've actually been in similar situations where I've questioned like if I should be feeling more emotion. But I think the more times I've had experienced that, I kind of realize it. It's a reflection of me internally thinking: Is there even truly a relationship that I care enough about as is? Right. right. So I think she's having that moment in this. She's like, because we we learn through like context clues and just like the way that uh, she's spoken about that uh, Annie had a very complicated relationship with her mother and kind of forced, it sounds like she forced them to try to have somewhat of a relationship, but it seems like Annie was always kind of against it inherently. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that she's gone, she's like, well, I'm supposed to feel something, right? But it's it's also part of that shock. 
Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it, it's, it seems like it's definitely a real hard feeling to have, but Steve says something really great to her. I agree. Um, in this next portion here, he tells her that she can feel any way she wants to feel, which, yeah, that's true. It's a great response. Yeah. Cut to Annie working on her miniature sets for Asher Gallery. She is painting on the hair of a miniature doctor with a woman in a hospital bed until she gets a knock on the door from her husband. He comes in and asks her how she, how's everything go how's everything going. She tells him that she is still working. Um, she's just working, taking a break from avoiding the show. <laughs> uh, Steve looks around the office at her work and comes next to her asking about the hospice that she is working on. She tells him that she is working between that, uh, between that and the preschool, and he asks he ask her about the deadline. And he lets him know that she only has six and a half months left, and he asks her um, if she has any titles yet. Um, and I don't know if you guys felt this, but I always felt like their dynamic was off. Yeah, 100%. Like, like not that they didn't have chemistry together, it was actually quite the opposite. It felt like their chemistry was there and died. Like, Ooh, it, it, okay, it, yeah, like like it felt like it felt like these people used to love each other in some point in time, mm-hmm. and now they're just they going don't love each it. other anymore. Yeah. So it it felt like they were ve- being. It, it felt not forced, forced as an acting, uh, but. Yeah, force as in conversation. Like I'm trying yeah, to relate to you. Be a right. I'm trying to be a normal husband here and a normal wife and do husbandly and wifely things to where we have conversations together and we hang out or whatever. And it's so it's so interesting. Like their dynamic just feels so completely off. Like they don't want to even truly want uh, be around each other. So I think my. All right, go Sorry, Freddie, go, go ahead. No, you go first. No, you go. All right, all right. Your perspective, I'll be quick. It might change me. Uh, <laughs> it might change you. <laughs> it might um, change me. I think when it comes to relationship dynamics with this, I think a lot of how people portray themselves or act is reflective of their upbringing. And like I had mentioned earlier, she had a very complicated, what it seems like complicated uh, relationship with her mother, right? And, uh, you know, them being husband and wife, they are family, and this is a movie about family. And I think it mm-hmm. it shows that because there was a complicated family dynamic in growing up for Annie, it reflects on her current family. I think right. I think throughout this film, and I noticed it especially the second time around, that she is a bad family member, at least in my opinion. Um Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. And I <laughs> She's not think, a good mom. She's not really she's not a good wife either. <laughs> exactly. And I think that is reflective because of who her mother was and yeah. um her mother really, you know, setting the the stage for her to be used as a tool. Uh she didn't yeah. receive that family love, so she doesn't know how to reciprocate it. Right. Cuz her mom too also only her mom didn't really like girls. Yeah. Uh, and we learn as to why later, but yep. her mom didn't really like girls and gave a lot of attention to her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I love how, like, you even watch this the first time, you probably forget she even has a brother. Yeah. But, like, how's, how her, her daughter is named after her brother right. is interesting. Right. It, it, it's so, so, so interesting. And, man. Like you, you get so many 
crazy different aspects. And I don't know. I I, I think I find their dynamic very interesting. Now, the reason very, why very interesting. I think their dynamic is very interesting is that something probably happened where he no longer trusts her, Annie. And I think it was the first yeah. time she slept walk and what she did. Yeah, they did bring after that, up. that moment, right. because we learned that later, we'll talk about it, of course. I think after that moment, he's constantly just checking in on her, but not really having that loving relationship anymore. He's there for the kids. Right. He's there for the family. He's still there for her as well. But at the same time, I don't think he trusts her the same way and doesn't treat her right. the same way after that. Well, and on top of that, too, like we, we do have to also take into account that Steve is also a psychologist. For sure. Yeah. Or a psychiatrist. Oh, I so like Steve, that. Yeah. So you only get context that he's a psychiatrist when he's sending an email. Oh, that's right. That's the only time you get context of, of him being a psychiatrist. But initially, him, he, since he is a psychiatrist, you know, he probably also is a little bit cold and, and anal- analytical when it comes to having a conversation with someone or, or something like that. So it might, it, it, it might just be a two way street here yeah. that they both are just fucking awkward at having conversations together. <laughs> Could be plain as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> True. Before cutting, before cutting to Peter in bed, strumming softly on his guitar, his dad knocks on the door and, and uh, he allows him in. He tells Peter goodnight and asks how's he doing or if he feels a little, or if he's feeling a little sad. Peter gives off a sarcastic, Hmm. <laughs> and Steve tells him uh, he knows while nodding his head. He tells Peter goodnight one last time. And we cut to Charlie's room. Annie is in the room with her and she sits on Charlie's bed picking up her notebook. She asks her uh, who the person is she drew and asks if it was grandma. Charlie is silent, looking in a different direction with a look of concern on her face. Annie tells her that she uh, was grandma's favorite and how she couldn't feed her because Ellen would want to feed her. Eesh. <laughs> Charlie tells her that uh tells her that grandma wanted her to be a boy. Annie empathizes with her telling her that she wished uh that she was a tomboy growing up. Charlie bluntly asks who is going to take care of her. Annie lets out a, a offended scoff and asks Charlie if she think if she thinks that she will not take care of her. Charlie follows up the question, but when you die. Annie loses her smile and tells her that her dad or Peter will take care of her. Charlie moves deeper into her pillow, turning further away from her mother. Annie moves in on her arm, gently kissing her, telling her that she never cried when she was a baby, even when she was born. Actually, my daughter didn't cry when she was born either. Aww. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, she actually, it's so funny. She, sorry, quick tangent. She, when she came out, she started, she stretched. She's like, she was oh, stretching. She's like, oh man, finally. Like she started stretching. <laughs> and she stretches every time she wakes up from a nap now. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's the exact same stretch that she did when she was born. That's how you know it was and, a good nap. Right. Yeah, for real. Like she's stretched and the doctor initially was just like, oh, you must have just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> like just, it was so funny. But anyway, besides the point she asked charlie if she felt like crying today and that it might uh it might have felt like a relief so this is one of my first context clues as to why i think payment has always inhabited her body and uh the fact that she never cries and she doesn't feel emotion and also other stuff uh i feel like that's a quality that 
a demon would have lack mm-hmm. of empathy right like so i i feel like that that is something that is very interesting behind her characteristic so i, th- I think that could be used for good evidence to support absolutely. your perspective absolutely thank you uh charlie is silent but annie looks up at the wall and sees the word satiny written on the wall uh which I didn't really look these up, so I don't I don't know what they mean. That's so uh-huh. funny because I was when I was watching it, I was like, I wonder if Prince looked these up because I was never able to find out what those were. Yeah, I I didn't look them up. I I I want to say Joan said these words out loud before in the movie, but I'm not too sure on that. But I I haven't looked them up now. Uh, she looks back down at Charlie, gives her a few more kisses before wishing her a good night. Mm excuse me, and leaving the room. Annie goes into her studio, about to shut off the light, but notices a box of her mom's things. Freddie, I assume you just look it, looked yep. it up right now. Um, so <laughs> uh, what my, does it mean? My little antics. Uh, yeah, so it's an adjective of having some resemblance or behavior similar to Satan. Huh. Ooh, scurry. Very scary. She t- she takes the box down, opening it, t- uh, taking out an old picture book that says memories on the front. While going through the book, she sees a picture of her, of her as a baby and closes it, throwing it back in the box to check what else is inside. She pulls out another book, quote, notes of spiritualism, end quote, and opens it up, revealing a note to Annie. It reads, quote, my darling, dear, beautiful Annie, forgive me all of the things that I could not tell you. Please don't hate me and try not to despair your losses. You will see in the end that they were worth it. Our sacrifice will pay next to the rewards. Love, Mommy. In retrospect, that is creepy as all hell. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, man, that's a creepy letter. Annie throws the book into the box and turns off the light, but she is looking in the corner with pure shock on her face. It is her mother in the corner smiling at her Annie turns on the light and she disappears I love it I love this moment so Dude. much because any especially after Dude. watching uh, Bly Manor man yeah. these ghosts oh, yeah. hidden in the corners and backgrounds oh, yeah. I'm such a fan of it how dope would it have been if Ari Aster directed an episode of Bly Manor Ooh. oh yeah. that'd be great my god my god uh, but no I, I love this I love um, how this doesn't really seem malicious, but it still is insanely creepy. Yeah. But she didn't look like she was going to harm her. Uh, she she just... She's just observing. Her, she's waiting. Exactly. Because her smile is quite warm. It's not, it's not a creepy smile. It's just the fact that it's creepy because it's in the dark and she's kind of glowy and things like that. And it's just... That's what makes that scene initially creepy. But her smile, if we really break it down, because I paused it on her, and her smile is very warm and very, like, kind of like a last goodbye. Yeah. In a way. Or, or, or on, we'll be together soon. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. It was like, a, 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 like a, I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm, and right. that's, that's what it looked like. It was like a, a proud moment of just staring at her daughter. It's like, don't worry, our reward right. is coming soon. Which exactly. is like, ugh, gross. Oh, man. Uh, Annie calls out to her mom, but no answer. She looks around the rest of the room, pausing her eyes on a miniature that she created. She angrily walks over to it, turning it away uh, from her sight. It is a figure of Annie trying to uh, breastfeed one of her children, while Ellen is standing next to the bedside with one of her breasts out, preparing to breastfeed. 
Annie walks out, clicks the light, and leaves. Annie is, is in her room with Steve, prepping for bed. She tells him that she uh, she just scared herself in the workshop, and he asks from, from what. She chuckles but doesn't tell him and kisses him on the cheek. Um, and this is going back to what Freddie said about the scoring. This is what I love the most about the score, is that there's almost a constant drone, like this droning hum mm-hmm. in the background. Something's hovering over. Right. And it's almost constant throughout the whole film. Yeah. And I absolutely love that because it's one of those things where you listen to something long enough, you get used to it. Kind of like white noise, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what this initially felt like. You first initially hear it, and then when you hear it throughout more and more throughout the film, you just kind of forget about it. You're used to it at that point. You're, You're conditioned. And it, it's so clever on how he does this to kind of pick up the brain. <laughs> Man, I absolutely enjoy it. Cut to Charlie in class doing some type of craft underneath the table and her teacher comes up behind her to ask her if she is done. Charlie nervously tells her almost and the teacher tells her to play with the toy after the quiz while turning her paper back over. She is still looking down at her desk while a pigeon flies into the window startling all the kids and teacher except for charlie <laughs> charlie looks at the scissors that are on the teacher's desk but we jump to uh to peter in class looking at his classmate bridget he's he's pretty much he's looking at her butt cheeks you know he's like, <laughs> right like yo yo bridget 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 she raises her hand to answer a question from the teacher. And it's actually interesting what the teacher's talking about. The teacher's talking about like uh, some Greek mythology stuff. Um, but it is a Greek myth. It, it's a Greek myth that has to do with family. So it's super interesting. I didn't write it down just because it was a lot. And I was like, all right, it's late. But uh, initially, yeah, that's what he's talking about. Peter snapped away from her when he receives a text from his friend Brendan asking him if he would like to smoke a bowl with him during break. He looks over to his friend, giving him a thumbs up while the teacher continues, but he sees Peter not paying attention and calls on him. Dumbfounded, someone else answers the teacher while Bridget looks at back at him. Charlie is outside, and she doesn't give him like a nice look. She's like staring at him like, like, yo, what are you doing? Yeah, like, I like, see you looking at me. Right, yeah, it, it was kind of like, bruh. Keep your eyes on the teacher or whatever. It was it was very interesting. She was not having that look. Charlie is outside looking at the dead birds and looks around a bit before cutting the head off the bird with her teacher's scissors. Yet another, for me, context clue of payment being inside of her. Mm. Um, so just the whole head thing in general. Very intriguing. And uh, I also like to think that the figurines that she would create would be little homages to what we see at the end initially. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She looks across the street eating her chocolate bar and there's a woman standing there staring back at her. The woman smiles and starts to wave while Charlie looks at her wide-eyed. Now, this particular scene here was in the trailer and I remember this scene being super creepy in the trailer because it was the way it was cut. It wasn't cut like this in the film. It was so creepy. But uh, in the trailer, it kind of had a little fidget when she would wave her hand. And fuck me, man. It was so creepy. It was so creepy. But 
Oh, man, Damn, just I... even thinking about it right now, just giving me the freaking heebie-jeebies. Damn, I can't recall, <laughs> but I wish I did. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, when she's waving her hand, she has, like, a little fidget to it that it just seems off. But the, he didn't add it in, in post, but initially I, I thought that was just so cleverly done in the in the trailer. I don't I don't think it needed it to be in here, but still, it was just really, really cool and really clever. Um because you could tell that he didn't really want to focus too much on like jump scares or or the normal paranormal stuff. Uh, he wanted you to feel dread and feel panic yeah. initially by your surroundings, and, and and just like you said, David, like he he wanted you to feel icky. Mm-hmm. So back at home, looking at Annie's computer, and she is looking up norms of discerning presumed apparitions with methods of communication. Love, and I, I absolutely love uh, the sighting of her mom initially continuing to linger around the house so i think that's just really really cool of her just constantly being reminded of her mother yeah um even though she doesn't like her mom Mm -hmm. she's constantly reminded of her mom and i think that's really clever annie turns her attention at a smaller model of her computer as she paints the title of the web page and that's also an interesting thing like most of her figurines she makes of is of her and her family and her day-to-day life in the house, it's it's it, it's very interesting, right? Because we talk about how it seems like she is not a really good family member, but here she is honing in on that for her career. It's very interesting, right? Yeah, she she definitely spends a lot more time focusing on her career aspect versus her, uh, or not even her career, because she's not she's not doing anything to better her career. She's initially bettering her skills yeah right so because everyone says and this is very true especially with art and, and as you probably know uh being with bella david that as an artist or designer you need something to relax you when it comes to work mm-hmm. of your art um because some art has to be work and some other times it's just like I just want to draw something to relax. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to want to focus too hard. I don't care about crazy edges or whatever. I just want to do it to relax. So it, 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 she's obviously doing that to, I feel like that's her grieving process initially. Yeah, totally. So it's interesting, but I feel like she's been grieving for fucking like 20 years or something, uh, which she probably has. Cause I mean, her father died, her brother died. She was pretty much all alone with her mom. So, Probably has. Steve comes home calling out with a hello and Annie answers uh, him back. Annie leaves out of her workshop and is about to head downstairs, but she notices that her mother's door is open to her room. She walks over and surveys the room, notices a burnt triangle into the floorboard. And the cinematography is fucking out of this world. Yeah, it definitely it so is. is. Yeah. From the beginning of the film Damn. throughout the end, like it's it's always a Bananas. lot of effort. Bananas. She closes the door and heads downstairs to ask Steve if he had gone into her mother's room. Um, He tells her that he hadn't, and she told him that the door was left open. Cut to Steve locking the door, and Annie apologizes for being irrational, giving him a kiss on the cheek. Yet another thing that just felt forced, relationship-wise. In the background, she can hear the phone ring, and Peter answers it. He comes comes up to his, his parents. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, he comes up to his parents and tells his dad that the cemetery is on the line. Steve takes the phone and starts walking away from Annie to uh, speak with him. 
we can't hear what they're saying on the other end, but Steve is taken is initially saying back for clarification purposes. Uh, and he repeats the word desecrate it and tell them that it has. Um, and he, and he tells them that it's only been a week since Ellen's passing. He begins to rush them off the phone when he hears Annie behind him. She asks him, what was it about? And he lies, uh, saying that, uh, it's some billing crap. And he takes it and tells him that she is going to go see a movie. She pulls up to the build to a building where some people are waiting outside and others are standing inside. Um, excuse me. Some people are waiting outside and others are going inside. She goes inside and it is a grief recovery group. Cut to Annie sitting down with the rest of the group. A man tells the group that uh, they set aside time for newcomers who might want to speak. Annie slightly raises her hand and he asks if she would like to sp- if she would like to, but she cuts him off, telling him that she doesn't want to chat. He tells her no pressure, and with a little silence, Annie introduces herself with everyone sending a hi, Annie. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys noticed this your second watch around or even your first, but uh, did you guys notice Jones sitting there? Yeah. This She's time sitting in the right corner. This time around, I did not notice her the first time watching this movie. Sure. Yeah. Did you notice it, David? No, I didn't. Yeah, Joan is sitting right there in the corner. Oh damn! It, it kind of, like it, it makes you think when she came up to her the second time she was going there or whatever. Yeah, which is like, well, how does she know her? I didn't notice her or whatever. But a few of the people, if you look around, some of these people are the cult members. Yeah, I did notice that a lot of them were sprinkled throughout the film, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't notice it in this case. Mm-hmm. Yep, some of those people in the circle are cult members, but yes, a lot of them sprinkled in the film are also cult members as well. But very intriguing. Um, Annie starts telling the group that her mom died a week ago, and that and that uh, that she decided to try this. Um, she continues telling them that she has resistance uh, coming to stuff like this, but she was forced to go a couple of years ago, um, and she guesses it helped. She goes on to tell the group that her mom was and weren't all together towards the end. They were estranged, so uh, so her death wasn't a huge blow. But she did love her. She tells the group that her mom didn't have an easy life and lists her mother's illnesses. She had a bunch of, bunch of things. She quickly continues telling them that her father died from starvation when she was a baby because he had a psychotic, because he had psychotic depression. Goddamn. Hmm. Like the stuff that happened to these people yeah. is so visceral. Um, and and even though we have this in the beginning of the episode, everybody, uh, quick trigger warning. Um, we are going to be talking uh, acts of suicide within this film as well. That is also, you got the trigger warning in the beginning of this episode. Um, so just another fair warning. Then she tells tells them that her uh, her older brother had schizophrenia and hanged himself in his bedroom when he was 16. The suicide note blamed her mom in accusing her for, of putting people inside him. I fucking love this in retrospect. Yeah, so the second time around watching this, this, this moment, this line hits a lot harder than it did the first time, right? Because the first time you hear it and you're like, damn, that sucks. That's That's very sad. But you don't realize the context behind it, right? It just shows yeah. that this is a a story that's been ongoing for for a long time. Well, tale is old as time. Movie. Yeah, tale is old as time, and I and I love that. I love that where it's yeah. just like it's just like oh shit, 
there was like actually a lot more movie here. Mm-hmm. Like oh, we could sure. we could have seen all of this, and yet this is how they chose to expose it. I absolutely adore this. I think it's fucking genius. The whole room is quiet, waiting for Annie to continue. She does, telling them that Ellen lived with her before hospice. Uh, she lets them know that they were on and off with speaking and not speaking. Annie comments that she was so manipulative until Steve forced a no-contact rule, which lasted until she got pregnant with Charlie. She didn't let her come near her son, which is why she allowed her to come ar- to be around Charlie, because she immediately stabbed her hooks into her. And Also, just another fascinating way to put that. She felt guilty again when she got sick. As she is saying this while holding back tears, she pushes through, telling them that she doesn't want to put any more stress on her family. She starts to sob while telling them that she is to blame, and a man asks for clarification on what she feels uh, on what she feels blamed for. She looks at him and tells him that she doesn't know. And just goddamn, she's such a great actress. <laughs> Cuts to Peter looking at Facebook images of Bridget uh, grabbing his mini bong to take a hit from it out, uh, by his window. That shit don't work. <laughs> he gets a text from Brendan um, telling him that Aaron is having a huge party tomorrow. He blows the smoke out of the window while there is someone watching him breathing. And all we could see is their back profile while their ba- breath leaves them through the chilled air. Who do you think was watching him? You know, I was actually wondering the same thing when uh, the scene came up. I was wondering as well. Mm-hmm. But I thought maybe like Colt, the the members of the cult, right? Because right. at, at this point, they later on we find out that they have been in and out of the house. Yeah, um, oh, for sure. So that's, that was my suspicion. I have to agree with you. It has to be a cult member who's just there watching the family. And I feel like there's multiple people in that, that like, woods just watching them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like that cool little jump cut we get. Uh, way later in the film but yeah next day charlie is uh working on morbid crafts in her room clicking her tongue eating m&ms and that's once again that's why i feel like it's it is kind of her mm-hmm. trying to express herself um and we we saw this in us right where it's just like do anything that that allows her to express herself dance sing or whatever um so i feel like this is that type of expression um behind charlie and and payment initially kind of kind of that duality between the two yeah uh there is this weird shimmer of colors that go across the screen and it catches charlie's attention um i would love to ask ariaster what these are but i assume it's payment soul i think so too no yeah yeah because i think the way that uh, she's so confused i think it's like he left quickly out of her body and she notices it right and that's really charlie at that point it comes back to right. her every now and then. Yeah. Interesting. The ship returns into a light reflection and she follows it out of her window. We cut to some photos of Ellen feeding Charlie uh, and Ellen and Annie getting uh, cutting grape tomatoes. Her phone vibrates and it is Sil- Sylvia from Archer Gallery asking for a progress report in a nice passive aggressive sort of way. She was nice about it, but she was definitely a little bit passive aggressive. <laughs> Charlie's outside holding uh, holding severed pigeon head, uh, walking down a path past the treehouse, uh, where she is walking there 
where she is walking, there are already footsteps of someone uh, who walked there prior, um, which I think it was that person who was looking at Peter outside the window. Mm. I think they just kind of chilled there the whole night. Annie is inside trying to set up a display to show her client while Peter walks into her room to ask if he can borrow one of the cars tonight. Not taking her eyes off of what she is doing, um, ask him why and where is he going. He tells her that he is going to a school barbecue thing and she asks if there is going to uh, if he was going to eat there or with them. Peter tells her that he was going to eat at home and they have a little back and forth about it. And now we officially kind of see the dynamic between these two. Um, and how they are also not compatible. Mm-hmm. He tells her that he is just going to hang out and she asks him if he will be drinking. Peter tells her uh, that they uh, aren't even old enough to get drinks if they wanted to. And he tells him that's full of shit and asks again. <laughs> he tells her no. So she asks if he is going to take Charlie with him. He gives off uh, and, uh, and asks... Does she want to go? <laughs> Mocking him, she asks him if he asked her. She's like, uh, have you asked her? <laughs> and just, I love their dynamic. I yeah. really enjoy their dynamic you, for sure. You could definitely tell there's like tension or just annoyance between the two. Yeah, and just constantly. Yeah. Love it. Um, and that obviously probably is back to what we learn a little bit later, right? Of right. her sleepwalking episodes and all that stuff. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he leaves the room to look for Charlie, but she is still outside following the path. She sees a woman in the field kneeled in a path of fire. Charlie clicks her tongue. Annie yells for her, um, startling Charlie, and she is dragging her back towards the house, reprimanding her for being outside without shoes on. I I wonder why. Like, I they have to be there, right? Like, did, like, that lady couldn't have just disappeared. So right? I had thought that was um, her grandma and, like, the spirit of her grandma. That's what I had thought. Interesting. Think so? Yeah. I, I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I think it was just one of the cult members. Oh. Uh, beginning, beginning portions of a ritual. Gotcha. Right. Because, like, everything's planted, right? Well, because of the like sudden the whole... disappearance, that's why I thought it was her grandma. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean... We can only assume that she disappeared, right? Annie right. never really looked in that That's direction. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, I don't know. I mean, when you when you see fire, like you would assume, yeah, like that's something oh, that you can't shit. just like ignore, really. <laughs> yeah, like especially in a wooded area mm-hmm. such as that in Utah, like, it's just I feel like that would be like, oh shit, there's a fire. Let <laughs> me call the fire department or something. Like well, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, but but I don't yeah. know. It's, uh, I just find that a very interesting scene. I'd say, I, I think it's a cult member for sure. I think uh, kind of like showing worshiping to the demon itself. And I think that's how he recognizes her as well by clicking. It's like, yes, you are one of my subjects. And I think just Annie didn't notice. I think. I don't know. Right. But be, Which I'm, I'm assuming that's what it is too. Yeah. That'd be cool if it was a grandma though. I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, w- I would definitely be interesting. Um, and it, it also kind of makes sense that you do say that to David, because I, I, what she says afterwards, too, kind of, I don't know, almost kind of validates what you said, David. Mm-hmm. So you might be right. 
because uh, Charlie shakes her head, uh, shakes her off, and tells oh, her that she wants grandma. That's right. Yeah. Annie asks with a stern rhetorical if she is angry with her, then proceeds to pull her into the house. She tells her that she is going to this party with her brother. Charlie obviously doesn't want to go. Tells her that's okay. Annie is persistent and tells her that she has to go. While Charlie fights back with question about the party, Charlie looks back at Peter and then back at her mother, telling her fine. Annie tells tells him that Charlie is going, and he lets out a sarcastic, great. While his mom tells him that uh, this officially means no drinking, he tells her, yep, wasn't going to. Just going to go smoke some weed. Cut to Peter and Charlie silently in the car t- together, and you can just feel anger radiating off of him. Yeah. Like, he's so pissed off. <laughs> and not necessarily at Charlie, just at the fact that his mom made him do this. Like, he just, he looks so pissed. It's so interesting that you say that, Prince, because the first time I watched this, I did feel that energy. Like, very much so. But this time, it it seemed very passive. It seemed like it was no big deal to him. Um, But Mm -hmm. I remember this portion of the film being very impactful for me because I was like, that is so messed up and everything that follows, right? And I was wondering who can put their younger sibling in that position, but this time around, I saw it completely different where he was just kind of whatever about it, passive. It didn't matter to him as long as he was getting what he wanted. Um, so it's very interesting because I felt that exact same way the first time. Oh, wow. That's very intriguing that that it, it really flipped on you there. Yeah, like, I don't know. I just feel like he even when he looks back at her through the rearview mirror yeah, no. and all that stuff, like, it feels like anger to I me, agree. But... I mean, I agree because that's what I remember strongly feeling. And this time around, right. I just kind of felt like nothing, there was nothingness coming from him. Oh, man, that's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. I love that. While driving, he passes up a pole with the same sigil that Annie was wearing as a necklace at, tor- at her mother's funeral and the same necklace that also uh, her mom was wearing when she was buried. Um, which is interesting, but this all kind of lets us know that the cult is involved in all aspects, right? Yeah. They knew about this party. They knew about all this stuff. They they, they knew he there was initially one way in, one way out, you know, so... They placed the peanuts... It, <laughs> right exactly here's uh, charlie a question oh god can i ask you yeah. a question okay now knowing all of this and how involved the cult is do you think his love interest is part of the cult and had like that domino no. effect i did not think nah that. are you sure Mm-mm. because the, even the way that she looks at him at the classroom it seems like i don't know she seemed a little suspicious i don't think so i i think I think she wasn't involved at all, to be completely honest. Um, this cult seems very old, I guess. And not not just based off of the members that are inside it that we see. It just seems like this was a cult from, I don't know, the, the fucking 70s or something. True. And not to say that they can't have new members, but I just never got that vibe from her. Especially when we see him get possessed by Payman. Okay, that's true. But, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting, though. Interesting that she said that, because I, I feel like that would be maybe a little on the nose if he if he would were to have Bridget be 
a part of the cult and like all of a sudden she's there and he's like, yo, what the fuck? And like, <laughs> right, right, right. it's just like a so, lot of yeah, stuff uh, falls in place, which is crazy how they can like manipulate right. the outcome of stuff. And I'm just like, maybe right. she was involved. Who else was involved? I don't know. But like got him to the party. <laughs> no fucking town. Somehow they knew she was going to eat that cake. Oh, God damn it. You know, it's a lot of yeah. stuff that plays perfectly to get to that situation. So it's very interesting. 100%. Oh, man. Charlie and Peter are walking through the party. We get a little glimpse of these girls vigorously chopping on some nuts. Why? 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 Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. While another girl is mixing a bowl in, um, in her hand. I don't know about you guys, but um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I've never been to a high school party, but is it normal for them to just make a fucking cake at a high school party? No. Yeah, dude. Every single party. Oh, no, man. I'm just kidding. No, not at all. Wow. Not one cake. Damn, I missed out. Freddie's one ass. Oh, man. So that I, I thought that was just so weird. It just so I've always thought that was just for plot. Right. Like, or just like how how can we get nuts inside of this? All of the this, kids uh, are part of the cult. Just go. <laughs> I mean, it it, um, <laughs> it didn't like seem weird or forced to me because like no, it seemed like someone was like in the kitchen or a bunch of people were in the kitchen and be like, let's make a cake, right? Let's let's find something to do. Yeah, they're right? probably drunk or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just like oh, a we got the ingredients. Idea. Let's fucking bake a let's bake yeah. a cake. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was, I was, I was still like, what the fuck? All right, I guess. Like, <laughs> like I guess we're making a cake now. Um, I mean, I would eat it. I, I'm not complaining if I get cake. <laughs> That's a lot of nuts, though. That That's is. That's a lot of nuts putting in chocolate cake. Damn, slow down. Slow down. What are you doing with all them nuts? I mean, I, talking about the scene where the nuts are being chopped up, it's... Uh, it's a really good shot on how violently they're being chopped up because it is yes. conveying how lethal the, those nuts are going to be. Right. But not only right. that, uh, and it's, oh, lethality, said, David, yeah, Goddamn. it's going to oh. be the key, right? This is going to set yeah. everything in motion in a, a positive trajectory for what the cult wants. Yes. Yes. Also fun fact, uh, the veracity that she was chopping the nuts is the exact same veracity that we see from Annie later. Yep. <laughs> and like legit, uh, they're exactly the same. That's awesome. Yeah, because that's it's what I so, thought of when I saw it this time. Yeah, it's so cool. So cool. Um, where did they get the piano? Anyway, that, that's something later. But <laughs> I was just thinking of, of the ending already. Uh, but P- Peter is searching throughout the party for Bridget, and he spots her alone drinking on the couch. And this just makes me think that she doesn't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it is it, which is kind of cool. Where it's just like, oh, like she's probably just also just like one of the awkward people or whatever that just kind of stays to herself and who doesn't really fuck with anybody, just kind of herself. Mm, sounds like a member of a cult. Dope. Does it? <laughs> I'm just saying, she's by herself, <laughs> drinking by alone, and then she just stares at All him right. through the whole party. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what about the dude standing... Never mind, Freddy. Jump to Annie's miniature of her, of her mom, standing in a doorway watching over her and Steve. Fucking that shit was creepy. Oh, so good. 
Annie takes a little glimpse of her creation and has a slight moment of a, a slight amount of dread through her visual gaze. Peter goes up to Bridget at the party while Charlie or with Charlie right behind him and awkwardly says hello to her, asking her how the party is. She jokes with him about his question and ask if he uh, and ask her and he asks her if she smokes while showing off his bag of weed. He gets up and starts walking towards another room. Or excuse me, she gets up and starts walking towards another room, telling him that uh, they have a bong in there. While going towards the room, he's like, sick. He asks Charlie if she would uh, like to wait out for wait out in the party for a second. She quickly tells him no, and Peter tries pleading with her, telling her that he is only going to be two minutes, and they can hang out and draw. Charlie shakes her head while Bridget is waiting for him to follow her over. He looks over into the kitchen and tells her that they are giving out chocolate cake. She quickly tells him not to everyone. And he tells her that they are because it is a party. She tells him that she doesn't know anyone. And he frankly tells her that nobody does. And to just stand there and they'll give her a piece. He tells her, he tells her that they are going to run out to hurry while quickly walking towards Bridget. So and, I want to add, oh God. the first time I watched this film, I thought this was entirely fucked up that he brought his little sister to this high school party right but i think when i watched it the first time around i thought she was like in middle school or something right and i think it's depicted i know no, they say that she's 13 in, yeah i think they're in, in the same school yeah, together i think she's a freshman yeah so i don't feel as bad but i remember being so heartbroken the first time watching this thinking like you brought your like uh your middle school sibling which I was incorrect oh, sure. in thinking to a high school party where there's like uh, drugs and alcohol and peanuts yeah. and you're leaving <laughs> her unattended, right? And I thought it was just so fucked up. And it's so crazy how I see Peter differently this time around because I I saw him thinking of her as a nuisance and just like a an obligation. And this time, I actually think he loved her. Yeah, no. And this time around, that's what I saw. So it's very interesting that you can watch this multiple times and really kind of see these characters differently. Right. Because it is absolutely, we're speaking on the dynamic of family here. Um, And it, it was so heartbreaking for me to see Charlie kind of be treated like this the first time I watched it. But the second time was knowing what was to come the events that played towards, um, you know, leading to Charlie's death was so heartbreaking to think about how Peter would feel um, mm-hmm. because it was all kind of innocent um, watching it the second time around for Peter, at least in my yeah. uh, perspective of seeing this. Um, it was just really, really sad. But I just I just want to call out. I think it's so fascinating that I can watch this two different times about a year apart and just have the the energy of it this portion of the film just conveyed so differently yeah that makes a lot of sense this is actually a movie that i don't like watching with people oh yeah (laughs) yeah i i really i really don't i like i like watching this movie alone which is odd to probably say but the main reason why is because (sighs) it's so slow that I I do I feel like some people just would be finding things to make fun of. Yeah, and yeah, that's, a good point. that's how it, that's how it felt in the movie theater when I watched it because I I had a horrible theatrical experience 
when I watched this. Everyone was laughing. Everyone was cracking jokes. Everyone was, it was just like, and everyone was just super immature and, and all this other stuff when I was watching. And I was just like, God damn. And it was the same thing for Midsummer. And after Midsummer, I officially told myself I would never watch an Ari Aster movie in theaters ever again because of how childish people are towards his films to me. What do you think it was? Like, what were they cracking jokes about? Um, I think it's anything. to uh, build a void of silence of being the slow film. It's like, oh, there's a spooky thing that they call it out. It's like, oh, uh, that. And people do I, compensate with humor when it comes to horror to make themselves feel better, to right, feel less right. afraid. Bella yeah. cracks so many jokes during horror films because she is scared out of her mind. And she'll, right. she'll tell me after the movie, too. She was like, I was really scared. I was cracking jokes, trying to make myself feel better. <laughs> and I'm very much like, let's dive into the fear. Let's like, let's right. just let's go let it all overcome in. us. Exactly. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm like that, too. But I'm also I'm, I'm a bit I find myself to be a bit of a cinephile when it comes to theatrical experiences. For like sure. That. And it, it's just, I feel like this movie, in my opinion, just should have been more for an indie crowd versus uh, a oh. wide range crowd. Yeah. But I, I completely yeah, agree. I, I, yeah, I just it's, prefer this movie to be, same thing with Midsummer. I prefer to watch Midsummer alone. It's a bit and, of a art house uh, film that a lot of people don't appreciate. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people, and I don't want to be this fucking guy like i'm some fucking upscale echelon of of cinephile and be like these normies <laughs> no like just just individuals who who are going to watch a horror film to literally be scared out of their fucking wits and i i feel like this film definitely doesn't really deliver that for the first hour and 45 minutes of this movie and it's creepy but i i think people want more than just feeling creep and dread and things like that uh, when it comes to a horror film. And granted, people were saying this movie did have a lot of hype behind it. And when it first came out, like this is the scariest movie since the exorcist and, and so on and so forth. So a lot of hype was built around it. But um, initially I just, oh, man, I, yeah, I did not like my theatrical experience for this. I didn't like my first theatrical experience for midsummer either though. So yeah, after midsummer, I was just like, I'm never watching a fucking Ari Aster movie in theaters ever again. It's just, I, I just don't I just want to indulge myself by myself with his films because I don't want anyone to ruin scenes for me, I guess. I can respect that. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. um I'm very similar in a lot of ways um when it comes to some pieces of media that I like to consume because I just like to get myself immersed and someone can very much just by talking yeah. ruin that experience, that immersion. So I get it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it it's just how I feel, I guess. But yeah. Charlie is standing there looking at at them hand chocolate hand out chocolate cake and we see the quick glimpse of nuts inside the cake. Bridget takes him into a room with two other dudes telling him uh telling them that he has weed. I would have been fucking mad as hell, dude. <laughs> I would have just left. I'm like, uh Nah, I'm, 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 I'm all right. <laughs> like, oh, I'm fine. I don't have any more weed. <laughs> I smoked it on the way here. <laughs> Meanwhile, Charlie is on the on the floor eating cake, wheezing and starting to turn red from her allergic reaction. She starts to realize that something is wrong and starts having a hard time swallowing. Peter is in the room uh, uh, packing the Mary Jane into the piece while Bridget 
ask him or ask if that was his sister downstairs. He tells her, <clears throat> excuse me. He tells her it it was while adding her name, Charlie, uh, which is why I take the context of like he definitely loves his sister. Like he didn't even say like yeah that's her, and he didn't even feel embarrassed. He was just like he's like yeah Charlie yeah right. Um, and one of the dudes asked him if his sister's hot. While Peter uh, is getting a phone call from his mom, he ignores him. He ignores him and the call. While Bridget said that uh, she saw Charlie drawing her last week, which is how we have context of she's in high school, um, and she made her look bad. I won't say what she actually says. Um, Peter agrees and says that his sister. Well, he says that's his sister. He's like, "Yep, that's Charlie." While getting another buzz from his cell phone of him receiving a voicemail from his mom, I really wanted to hear that voicemail. <laughs> I just, I, I, I wanted to hear, and I think the reason why I wanted to hear that voicemail is mainly to see if she, if Annie felt more loving towards her son. Hmm. I, I, I just, I, I, that's what I really wanted. I, even though I probably know that the voicemail was mainly about Charlie. Yeah. But still, I just, I really wanted to hear that voicemail to see if she was just more uh, loving towards her son. But, I'm really interested yeah. to know why she called in that moment because what could yeah, she have called same. for? Yeah. 100%. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it probably was to ask, like, hey, what time are you guys done? What time are you coming home? Maybe. Who knows? Charlie is downstairs and making her little figurine while wheezing. She gets up to get water from a, from the sink and takes a sip while looking around. Peter is ta- is taking a hit from the bong while Charlie comes in, calling for uh, for him. He starts to realize that something is wrong and he asks her if she is okay. She tells him that it, that it is hard to breathe and that she thinks her throat is getting bigger. He rushes her out of the house while carrying her to the car. He quickly puts her inside and tries speeding off to get her to the hospital. They are driving down... I, I say try speeding off because that car definitely is not going past like 80. They are driving down the highway fast while Charlie is gasping for air. Peter yells that they are almost to the hospital and everything will be okay. And fuck, man, this scene always gets me. Yeah, it's heavy. What a heavy scene. Let's finish it. He speeds up while Charlie continues gasping and panicking in the back seat. She opens the window, sticks her head out of the window. He calls for her to get back into the car suddenly tries to avoid a dead deer in the middle of the road swerving off to the side of the road connecting with Charlie's head to the pole mm. that we saw earlier completely Damn. decapitating her it's tough and I think that was a big like moment for everyone back when this film came out right where it's just oh. like wow that's gruesome that's yeah. disturbing yeah. to look at and everyone in my theater experience were so immature with this. Oh no! <laughs> everyone was laughing. Be... Everyone was like, "Oh shit!" Blah, blah, blah. Oh, like, just, oh my god! It was horrible. I'd be pissed. It was horrible. It was horrible. I I legit wanted to leave. Yeah, I remember. I, oh my god! I remember taking this very hardly when Seriously? I first oh, watched for sure. it. I, I like as you should. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't look at the screen for like a good couple minutes because I was just in such shock and also just felt so horribly horribly sad like yeah that's a that's such a freak accident but at the same time right. that like um the weight that had on peter and right just <sighs> what follows is just wow and how long 
that scene is. Yeah. It stays there. God and you're with damn. Peter, and Peter is just like silent, just looking at the rearview mirror. Yeah. In he shock. doesn't want to turn around, and you feel that. You feel like what he's yeah. saying is like, I can't look back there because that's going to like confirm what I just saw and what I heard. And man, right. the fucking sound design. Disturbing. Children, the way it was edited so too. So haunting. The way they just cut away right when they hit and you hear it and you're like, damn. Yeah, you, oh. We didn't have to see it. We know exactly what happened. Oh. It's great filmmaking Man. for a great suspenseful it's beautiful. scene. And it's beautiful. Like my, like the first time I saw this movie, that was the scene that will always stick with me. Even though I didn't like it the first time watching it, I was like, damn, that scene made me feel yeah. that way. And it was like, yeah, my heart it, I think that's the scene that sticks with everyone, right? Because it's yeah. very disturbing. You, you, I'm sure film has done it before, but there's just yeah. something about the way it's set up because it's the weight of the party and Charlie being forced to go by her mom and then Peter yeah. lying about what the party actually is and bringing Charlie along just so he can, you know, potentially get, hit on this girl, potentially right. get laid. Yeah. And it ends yeah. up in you know, him accidentally killing his sister. It's just, it's so sad. It's crazy. Yeah. The spiral of events and I think is all methodical beyond apparently. me. Prince, you said it earlier it. too. Is that, uh, you said when people saw this trailer, they thought the whole entire perspective of this movie is through Charlie. That was me yeah. going into this movie for the first time. <laughs> so seeing that was very unexpected. So it, it yeah. was such a surprise. And it was like, oh, damn. Okay, it got me. Nice. Yeah. Where is this movie going to go now? And then we see where it goes. Right. But yeah, exactly. crazy. It, it's very fascinating. Very fascinating. And and uh, this really happened in real life. And wow. I'll, I'll tell you guys about that a little bit later. Peter stops the car with a complete blank stare on his face, not looking in the back seat, but knowing exactly what just transpired. And the dread is just so intense that it is extremely hard to even breathe. Amazing and, acting, too, because the water oh, building up in his eyes, it's just, yes, it seems so genuine. Right. His eyes just get so misty and, and to the point where he does eventually shed a tear. But just the fact that he's so tense and fuck, man, God damn. And this just goes to show, too, that like how skillful this cult is, right? Yeah. Planting the deer there in front of the pole with their fucking sigil. Come on. Come on. He's about to look in the rearview mirror, but turns his attention back to the road in front of him, shedding a tear. He loosens up his grip and drives back home. He pulls into the driveway, slowly gets out of his, out of the car, and heads inside the house, still without looking into the back seat of the car. We can hear Annie whisper to Steve saying, okay, good, they're home. Peter slowly walks past their door, heading into his room while the camera slowly follows. He climbs into his bed with his clothes on and stares until the sun comes up. The next day, and the camera still pointed at Peter's face, we can hear Annie getting ready to leave and Steve telling her to drive safely. She lets him know that she will be back in 20 minutes. And here's the door open and shut. The car door opens, and Annie lets out a gasp and the most heartbreaking scream that you will ever hear in your entire life. Jesus. Yeah, the the acting on here is just phenomenal. I can't 
even begin to describe how genuine it feels to 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 react to that and hearing Annie cry and you know we'll eventually transition to her being with Steve and just crying and shouting and saying that she can't and it it just feels just as impactful from the first time watching it absolutely I remember the first time watching this and hearing her scream but not showing her and then actually showing her later on and she's like on the ground crying it's one of those scenes where like Tony Collette does such a good job that it doesn't feel like a movie anymore. Like you just saw a mother react to her dead daughter. And it's yeah. honestly very devastating. It's that believable. It I'm not watching the movie anymore. I'm seeing the mother suffer a lot of grief and despair in this scene. And I was like, damn, this is why Tony Collette deserves so much awards or something anything recognition at the very least and i'm sure she gets a lot of recognition in in this atmosphere of horror community but damn seeing her in this scene is always her only horror movie yeah so i'm sure she got a lot of praise from it oh yeah at least within saturn awards yeah fangoria chainsaw i'm sure she got it all right yeah in the horror community i'm sure we took care of her (laughs) but damn she was loved not addressed in the academy at all but this transpires through the screen Bullshit. for sure it's one of those scenes where it's like i can say even if i hated this movie i can't say that that scene and that acting was bad for a right. yeah i mean incredible job and i it, i've never seen something like this since not that well done like i, I i've seen and even in midsummer like Danny's crying in Midsummer. I don't know if either of you have seen Midsummer, but Danny crying in Midsummer was believable and it hurt, especially when her catastrophic event happens in her life, um, which you do feel because fuck, that's also really heavy as all hell. Um, but initially, that same uh, emotion, I didn't feel it as much as I felt this. Like this, you fucking feel Definitely. tremendous weight Definitely. of just grief. You grieve with her in this scene, and it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> Damn, this scene is amazing. Peter grips his pillow tighter while hearing his mother screaming from sheer pain of the death of Charlie. We get a shot of Charlie's mangled, decapitated head covered with ants on the highway while cars pass it on by. Annie is continuing her hysterical sobbing in her room with Steve trying to be- trying his best to comfort her. She is wailing that she wants to die and that it hurts too much and screaming for Charlie. Peter is in the dark corner by his parents' room, not saying a word, and just listens to his mother's sobs from the pain. I can't even fucking imagine losing Ellie. Like, holy shit. Um, quick cut to Annie continuing her wailing at Charlie's funeral while her casket is descending underneath the ground. And just to think, like, there's a fucking headless corpse inside there. Uh, yeah. Jesus Christ. I, 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 uh, no, Jesus Christ, I don't even, I have no words. We transition to the wake of the funeral while everyone is around gathering and Peter is watching from the stained glass. Annie is upstairs in her bed grieving while Steve is downstairs closing off his home to the last guest and pausing in the middle of the floor for a moment. And this is his moment where he initially should grieve 
you should grief all of the time. But him personally feels like I can't because my wife is grieving harder initially. He heads upstairs into his room and Annie is nowhere to be found. The camera moves in closer into the wall, showing the word Zazas. And I'm sure Freddie will be on it to tell us what that also means. I'll find it. <laughs> Cut to Peter going to bed at 12.04. He is laying down in bed looking out of the window and the heater light in the treehouse comes on. Steve is in Charlie's room looking at her drawings in her notebook for his grieving process. He comes across a drawing of the headless pigeon with a crown on its head. Just another context clue of how initially she really sees herself. Annie is in the treehouse with the heaters pointed at her while she's, while she's asleep. And bruh, I'm going to be real with y'all. I do not give a fuck how cold it is. Those heaters, we have those heaters, those space heaters. Those heaters that close to you and that high Stupid are hot. hot as shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, they are so, like, you feel like you're baking. It's no way you're going to do that. No fucking way. <laughs> I don't give a shit how cold it is. <laughs> like, I do not care. Like, you are baking with that thing that close even kathleen was just like she walked in the room on that scene and she was like oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah no i don't i don't give a shit either i don't care it could be snowing outside if that thing is that close to you you're like no uh-uh. cut to peter uh in class zoning out while his teacher is lecturing he and i love peter's uh grieving process right i love his grieving process because you see him gradually get more vulnerable each and every scene he's in. I love it. God damn it. Because Peter in class is zoning out while his teacher is lecturing, he looks up and imagines the night of the accident while seeing the rearview mirror above him, showing a piece of Charlie's body in the reflection. He uh, He's back in reality, looking at the back of Bridget's head before cutting to him smoking with his friends. He passes the piece and sits sits there while everyone is talking about some kid named Brian. Peter Peter's body starts to shut down and he slowly starts to have an, an rea- a reaction. He, uh, he grabs his upper his upper rib and starts groaning in pain. One of his friends asks if he's okay and he tells them that he thinks he is having some sort of reaction and that his throat feels like it's getting bigger. The exact same thing Charlie said to him before she died. Yeah, it's so crazy. Uh, Dude. Do you think that's where he kind of felt the presence of Charlie and the demon? Payman? No, no, not yet. Okay, I I think I think I think that it, because I don't think he felt it uh, until the initial ritual happened. Until Annie did the ritual, I think this is just okay. him grieving. That's initially. Right. Yeah. Oh, but once once the ritual happens, I feel like that's when he really feels it. You got something? Yeah, the Zazas. Uh, is oh yeah, similarly refers to a demon who's frequently conjured by Ouija boards. Oh. So it's a type of demon. Interesting. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Peter asks for his friend's hand to hold while he cries. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We don't see a Ouija board in this movie. <laughs> no, but I'm sure it's all part of the same. Maybe he's one of the yeah, seven same kings universe. of hell. Maybe. If I do yeah. more research, I'm, I'm sure he's maybe oh, part oh, of that. It. Oh, shit. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about demonology. Um, same. As we shouldn't. <laughs> I would hope. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's some people who are really into that stuff. Let me tell you all about uh, it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, let, let me, me break it down in. for you. <laughs> Peter arrives. I'm surprised David hasn't studied it, to be completely honest. <laughs> I think I may be anyone to be me. Yeah, probably. Peter arrives home on his bike and drops it out front while his mom watches him stand there working the courage to go inside the house. He doesn't notice her in the car and she waits for him to uh, be in the house before driving, before starting the car and driving off to the grief, to the grief group um she sits in the parking lot contemplating on going inside and decides not to go inside she starts her car and is about to leave out of the parking lot before a woman um uh a woman a part of the group uh joan kindly flags her down annie opens her window and joan tells her story um excuse me tells her sorry and asks her if she is isn't going if she is going inside um I used to always get them mixed up. I used to always call Joan Annie and Annie Joan because Annie or Joan looks like an Annie to me. That's interesting. It's funny. She looks like a Joan it's funny because her me. name is Ann Dowd is her real name. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I guess that might be it then. That might be why I think of Annie. Uh, this woman is a fantastic actress, though. She played in a show called The Leftovers. And dude, she was terrifying in that show. Fantastic actress. Oh, my God. Dude, if you haven't seen The Leftovers, um, it's not great. But if you haven't seen The Leftovers, I would just say watch season one. Have tissues. And on top of your tissues, make sure you have a comfort show to watch right after. Because that show was heavy. Heavy as all hell. Ugh. Then season two and season three happens, and you're just like, okay, this show should have just ended at season one. <laughs> uh, she tells Joan that she just forgot that she just forgot something, and Joan tells her that she remembers her from a couple of months ago. Then introduces herself, so they, it gives us context of how much time passed since her mom died. Yeah, so nice little chunk. Like this feels like this was just next week that she's uh, going again or whatever. But we find out it's been a couple months. Yeah. She asks Annie if she is feeling better. Annie is confused by this question, and Joan reminds her about her mother. Annie sighs and tells her that her daughter was killed. Very interesting way to phrase that. Uh, but she is given this look in as if she didn't mean to say the word killed. It, like, it feels like it came out on, on accident. 
initially. Like a resentment is being held in, but exactly. she hasn't really fully accepted it yet. Exactly. Joan is apologizing for her loss and asks if she would like to come in with her or grab a coffee. Holding back tears, Annie apologizes and tells her that she really did uh, did forget something, but Joan ignores that, blurting out that her son died. Annie looks at her with uh, remembrance um, that everyone there lost someone. Then she apologizes for Joan's loss. Because it's like at first she like kind of forgot, like everyone's here because they lost someone. Yeah. You know? Um, and the only other time that I've seen a grieve group like this in media was in a show called Dead to Me. And um, it was very similar to this, um, but it was very much like attached to like religion. And so it, it's super interesting that they kind of chose this as a as a piece of a support group. Yeah. Um, so very intriguing. Joan asks her how old was uh was hers, and Annie tells her thirteen. Joan tells uh Joan continues saying that that's awful, and shares that her son and grandson drowned four months ago, and that her grandson was only seven. Annie, still trying to hold back tears, gives off another human response when uh when you are told tragic things. Oh my god, and it's just that's all all they do. It's just oh my god. It's like what else can you say? You know. Yeah. Joan continues. She is. Um, oh, excuse me. Joan continues. She has been coming to this group, and it has helped her. But she truthfully tells her that it doesn't make it easier. It just makes it less lonely. Uh, I love that line. Love that line. She then writes her phone number down for Annie and tells her that she needs someone to talk to her, uh, or excuse me, that she needs some. She if she needs someone to talk to. Annie takes the folded paper, starts the car, and gives her goodbyes while driving off, catching her breath. Annie opens the door, and Steve is woken up from his chair um, by her. Excuse me. Annie opens the door, and Steve is woken up from his chair by her coming into the room. She greets him, and he asks where she was. And uh, Annie tells him that she was at the movies and that she was going to bed. He tells her that he would go up with her. Cuts to them in bed, both wide awake, and he places his hand on her shoulder and. This is initially his grieving process, right? Like he probably hasn't really had sex with his wife in some time. Mm -hmm. And this probably goes for his grieving process of wanting to feel something or or not feel something, not just anything, but feel something good. Yeah. Initially. It's interesting that you bring that up because I remember questioning if that was his motive the first time around and this time around. Sure it was. Um, The first time around, I was like, oh, for sure. And the second time I was like, I wonder if he's just showing that he is there, right? But I still right. had that lingering thought in the back of my mind. Yeah, it, it, the the touch felt a little bit more sensual yeah. um, than how it felt like when he was holding her while she was grieving, um, while she was hysterically crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this definitely felt more of, a, of an advance, sexual advance. Um, but at the same time, that kind of, goes along his grieving process of like we need to we both need to feel something good right now initially was how he probably thought it in his head yeah um when obviously she wasn't in the mood uh she looks at his hand but doesn't accept the gesture rather gets up grabs a blanket and tells him that she will be right back he rebuttals with a no you won't because she is taking the blanket and she tells him that she can't sleep he claims that it is freezing up there, but Annie has the heaters up there. And he, um, and all he can say is, okay. 
She asks him if that is okay, and he tells her um, if it gets too cold to come back inside. Before leaving the room, she looks at him, telling him that she just needs to sleep, and he uh, nods his head in agreement. Peter is looking out of his window in the red looming out of the treehouse. I love this shot. It's beautiful. Um, His attention is steered when he uh, he hears a faint clicking in the distance. Looking around the room for the sound, and it happens again a little louder. He looks into the corner of his room and um, is spooking himself, uh, thinking something is there. But there actually is nothing there at all. It's just his clothes. Cut to their mailbox filled with mail and someone uh, lightly placing a pamphlet um, about a seance that reads Calling All Skeptics by the famed spiritual medium Suzanne Barlow. I wonder if there's any like context into that. Uh, like maybe, I don't know, Salem's Lot or something. Yeah, I, I wonder. Um, Annie is in her workshop working on a miniature of Charlie's room, writing the word... Or yeah, writing the word that was in Charlie's room on the wall initially, which was uh, what was it, Freddie? It was Satoni. That was it, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, he looks over at a sticky note that's, uh, or excuse me, she looks over at a sticky note that says, "quote Call gallery about extending question mark end quote." She lifts her magnifying her magnifying eyepiece up and is about to move stuff around the table, but her paint falls down. Now, this is interesting. This is the most interesting thing in this whole film to me because this is probably the one of the most paranormal things that we've seen happen. She does not hit the table. The paint literally just falls over by itself. Yeah, so I was wondering the same thing mm. this time around watching it. I questioned, I was like, wait, did she really hit it? Because nope. it spills perfectly on... Jones, uh, Jones, Lut, yeah, uh, Jones paper, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that she does not hit the table, that thing just falls. I went back like maybe six times to make sure. Nice, I'm glad you did. Super interesting. Annie quickly starts cleaning it up, and while doing so, she notices the paper that Joan wrote her contact information on. Annie is headed out to Joan's apartment complex and goes inside. Do you think she calls Joan first and then? I think the, so, yeah, because she says okay, she's, I would, she's earlier yeah. than she's supposed to be. That's what I thought. Um, Annie is headed out of Joan's apartment complex and goes inside. She goes to Joan's door and gives a knock, then looks on the floor, seeing a stitched mat that says Joni on it. Joan opens the door and invites her inside. Annie hesitantly goes inside and slightly um, stops uh, before asking her about the welcoming mat. Joan chuckles and tells her that it is kind of cute. Um, Annie shares that uh, shares that her mother used to embroider one ones just like that. Joan comments on the coincidence being funny and then invites Annie to sit at her table with her. And I love this about Joan because she's like hiding in plain sight. Yeah. I love it fucking love it like she's giving her all these context clues where it's just like it's like how do you feel when she first comes up to her at the car how do you feel like how are you doing about your mom and she's like oh shit Hmm. okay one little context clue there that she obviously remembers me based off of my mom but it's it's interesting just these little sprinkles that Joan adds I even I even got a little thing that I think I saw, but I'm not too sure I saw this. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, they are sitting at the table, 
and Annie is going over to to the events of uh, when she found out about Charlie. She sobbingly tells Joan that uh, that first it uh, it is the smell of something is wrong, which is probably why she called. That might that might be actually the reason why, like just that motherly instinct that something was wrong, which is yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. That that could be the reason why she called uh, Peter. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, just that motherly instinct. Uh, and then the body being covered in black blood like tar. Sobbing, she mentions that Charlie's head wasn't there, so she couldn't see her face. She's trying to comment on her hands and and uh, f- and fingers, but can't gather the strength to do so. Joan grabs her hand, and Annie pulls out some pills to take with her tea. Annie takes the black piece. Uh, Annie takes this black piece of herb out of her mouth and wipes her hand. Fucking love the conditioning aspect. Yeah, it's sprinkled Just throughout like, the film very well. Wow. So good. Um, and I like to think that the cult just goes into the house and just writes shit on their walls. Yeah, I do too. Like, oh, for sure. Come on now. I'm reading more and more into it while we discuss too. And it's all, oh, really? all of the words have to do with necromancy. So, satiny oh, also wow. is another word of power of some kind that also seems to be used to command the dead back to the spirit world and also into the reality as well which uh, the demon needed to be called to Peter and Charlie and Annie out of the way for this to happen. And then there's more right. breakdowns of like the other words that we will talk about. But yeah, no, it's definitely meant for this, the seance essentially to make everything happen. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's rad. Joan asks about her relationship with her son, Peter. Annie tells her about a, a sleepwalk episode that she, uh, she had a couple of years ago, standing next to Peter and Charlie's um, bed when they shared a room. Um, and, and it's interesting that you say that because I think it's or interesting that you also thought like in the beginning, and I'm sure we all had this kind of context that Charlie was drastically younger than Peter. Um because she, uh, she's just so small. Yeah, that's what I thought the first time around because of that. Yeah, and, and this movie does a it does a good job at, at telling the audience like they are close to the same age. They are only a couple of years apart in age. Yeah. Um. So that that really gives us a good context clue because I mean, well, we could assume Peter is in a senior, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear the mentioning of SATs. Yeah. Um, so we could assume he's a senior. So what? They're probably what, three years apart in age. So yeah. Um, where am I? And they were all completely covered in paint thinner, including herself. She continues telling her that she was standing there with um with uh the box of matches, and she woke up when she tried striking one. It also woke Peter up, and he started screaming. While sniffling, she tells Joan that she immediately put the match out, but it was impossible to convince him that she was just sleepwalking, and mention it and mentions that of course she was just sleepwalking, and since they and since then they would argue about literally nothing she lets joan know that peter also always held this um this against her nothing she can say or do because it happened while she was asleep uh 
Cut to Peter coming home and Steve is in the kitchen chopping up veggies, uh, mentioning that he got home quick and asked if he biked home. Peter tells him that he uh, got a ride from a friend while heading upstairs. Steve, trying uh, trying to get back some sense of normalcy, Ask if he signed if he signed up for the SAT prep course. Um, actually, you know what? He might be a junior. Yeah, I was prep thinking course? he's probably like sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, might be a junior. Um, Peter doesn't bat an, bat an, uh, bat an eye, telling him that he will do it tomorrow. Steve tells uh, tells him that he has to do it do that because it is coming up. Um, but Peter is already gone. And once again, I feel for Steve. Yeah. Because Steve is trying his best to make things seem normal, to not not normal, excuse me, to to continue with their lives. Yeah, he's trying his best to to pick up where they initially left off. Because that's the thing, that's the shitty thing about death is that time doesn't wait. Yeah, life goes on. Life goes on. And there is a moment to grieve, but um, also at the same time, Steve is is trying to. Add some light of positivity in their lives, but it sucks because he doesn't realize the forces that are against him. Exactly. Yeah. Steve knocks and opens up the door to Annie's uh, workshop and is about to say something, but is distracted by the piece that she is currently working on. He goes towards her um, to get a closer look and notices that she is recreating the accident scene of Charlie. Disgusted, he asks if she was uh, is planning on allowing Peter to see this model. She tells him that uh, that it's not about him, and um, that is a neutral view of the accident. Not looking at her, he asks her if she is cutting down for dinner. She tells him that uh, she tells him that she is making dinner, but he yells that he made dinner already and that he came to get her. Leaving the room, he tells her to, quote, come, stay, do whatever, because I don't give a shit, end quote. And I even put here, all the times that I watch this film, I always switch the perspective of who I'm watching it in. Um, and Steve's is always the most heartbreaking for me to watch. Definitely. I have to agree with you. It's just, you could tell he's also hurting yeah. But he's not just hurting from the fact that his daughter's dead and gone. He's hurting from the fact that he can't grieve properly with his wife. Yeah. Like he's left to grieve alone and he doesn't want to. He wants to grieve together. So he wants to grieve as a family initially. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't look up and continues working on her manager. Cuts to the meaty dinner in silence downstairs. Annie isn't touching her food and she glares at Peter's, uh, Peter's chattering um, his cutlery while trying to cut his chicken. I hate the way he's trying to cut his chicken. It's, like, it's very <laughs> barbaric. Yeah. Um, he uh, he looks at her and stop and stops cutting while stuffing some salad into his mouth. Peter breaks the silence and comments on the food being really good and Steve uh, giving him thanks with a gen- genuine but broken smile. Annie gives off an irritated chuckle and Peter looks up at her tapping her at her plate while looking down at it. Peter asks if she is okay. Surprised, she questions him on, on what he means. He asks her if something is on her mind while looking down at her food at his food. She throws the question back at him. He tells her that it seems like there is something that uh, she might want to say. Steve Steve softly calls out to him to stop, but Annie continues asking why would she want why would she want to say something so he could just sneer at her. Defensive, Peter tells her um, that he never sneers at her, but she quickly rebuttals, telling him that he 
he doesn't have to because she gets the point across because he gets his point across. Peter tells uh, tells her that she, uh, to say what she needs to say. And Steve tries stopping him yet again, but they keep going. She tells him that she doesn't want to say anything and she tr- uh, and she has tried Um but Peter, Peter tells her to release herself, and he flips it and says, release you, you mean? <laughs> and he tells her, fine, and just to fucking say it. Annie fucking explodes, slamming on the table, telling him not to swear at her, adding you little shit at the end of it. Whew. Heavy. And to never raise his voice at her because she is his mother. God damn. Damn. You know what? This movie would have been perfect to release on mother's day oh my goodness <laughs> imagine that that'd be crazy i'm just saying that'd be awesome i actually remember this is a part of their marketing tactic they initially bought the hashtag on twitter hashtag happy mother's day really to where it shows because you guys know how like you could do the hashtags and they'll show a little icon of the hashtag Custom emoji yeah yeah so it was uh tony collette's face crying oh my or, like, god like screaming initially and if you click on it, it took you to the trailer. That's all. That's awesome. Oh, like that's so fucking good. She continues while in the full rage mode that all she does is worry, slave, and defend him. And she continues telling him that she, uh, that all she gets back is that fucking face on his face, <laughs> full of disdain and resentment, and always so annoyed. She exclaims that his sister is dead, and that she knows uh, that he misses. Him. And that she knows that he misses her. Um, and she wishes she could shield him from what he did. And I love how she continues throwing it back on him. And she repeats that his sister is dead and she is gone forever. While crying, she tells him that she tells him what a waste and that it should have brought them closer together if he could have said, I'm sorry. But she yells while slamming her hands, while slamming her hands on the table and, um, that he can't take responsibility for anything. She continues telling him that she can't accept, she can't accept and she can't forgive, forgive because she pauses for a moment and bursts out, quote, nobody admits anything that they've done, end quote. And it's funny because I feel like this is all Steve was initially trying to do in his way of bringing the family closer together Mm -hmm. during this time. But it's it's he's doing it in his way, right? Like like he's doing it a very, very subtle kind of way. Yeah, but interesting. Exhaling deeply, and then returning back to her seat, picking at her food while Peter stares at her um, with tears in his eyes. He gently asks, "What about her?" Mentioning that Charlie not wanting to go to the party and ask why why was she there. Steve still being ignored, telling them that they are stopping this right now and continues telling them to stop. Annie's face has nothing but pain and she is uh, about to lay it all out again, but she looks at Steve and tells him fine mm. and walks away from the table. Damn. So powerful. Scene. That scene is so powerful. What a scene. Love that scene, man. Steve and Peter are still at the table. Steve grabs his son's hand and is about to go back to eating his food, but drops his cutlery on his plate to put his hands um, on his head in frustration. Cut to Annie looking at her miniature for the gallery, and she slightly looks up at a post-it written with, quote-unquote, keep working. Cut to her uh, walking out of an art supply store in the parking lot. And one of my favorite theories right here just happened. Like like I said, did you guys see Midsummer at all or no? No, I haven't. 
Yes, for the most part. The majority of it. For the most part, you have. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, so the two people that are walking inside of the art store, there's a theory floating around that that is possibly Danny and Christian for Midsummer. Oh. Which would, yeah, would be great. That would be, uh, that would be awesome. Same universe. I, if yeah. he, if, if Ari Aster ever comes on our show, uh, that is definitely going to be a question I'm going to ask him because I need to know if that is actually true or not because god damn it they do look spot on each other it's crazy she is walking up to the car and notices joan in the parking lot putting stuff into her car and i don't know if you guys notice this did you guys have a keen eye on what she was putting into her car no i i think they were chalkboards but i'm not sure you are absolutely correct she bought the chalkboard that day yeah okay because <laughs> i had questioned that as well because later on she talks about how the key for a grandson was his chalkboard, but I was I was thinking, girl, didn't you just buy those? Mm-hmm. Sure did. And I love seeing that. I was just like, that is that is fantastic being able to catch that. She calls out to Joan and Joan excitedly runs over to Annie, uh giving her a hug. Annie asks if she is okay, and Joan tells her that she is good, that she is really, really good, then proceeds to tell her that something happened and she is completely turned around. Annie intrigued to ask about um ask what happened. Joan starts to laugh and she said and she's it says that she might think she's she is crazy. She grabs Annie's hand um and tells her that she met a spiritual medium. And they're performing an open seance that they asked her to attend. They're bringing skeptics and scientists in. She goes on to tell her that they brought in the spiritual man of uh, from the 19th century. And the man sitting next to her was a neurologist who looked completely changed by the end of it. Annie isn't believing any of this and is nervously giggling at the sound of it. She tells Annie... That she approached the medium afterwards, telling her about her son and grandson, and she came to her apartment. Joan slightly sighs, then comes um, back telling Annie that she uh, ended up conjuring up her grandson. And I love how she used the word conjuring. Same. (laughs) Annie is smirking at the sound of all of this, and Joan tells her that she heard her grandson's voice and felt his presence in the room. Then tells her that this is real. She asks Annie what she is doing right at that moment and pleads for her to come over to her apartment. Cut to a dark room being lit, um, being lit by a candle. Annie uh, hilariously mentions it being a nice mood setter uh, while Joan exhales and sits down at the table breathing in deeply. I love this. She's like, oh, uh, a nice mood setter. (laughs) It's kind of cute, kind of like breaking the tension a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Joan instructs her. Wait, uh, yeah, Joan instructs her, instructs that she is going to put her hand on the glass without pressure for her to do the same. Hesitantly, she follows suit, and Joan lets out another exhale, calling for uh, Louis. Um, Annie is looking at her while Joan asks if Louis is there. And that it is her grandmother, it is her grandma contacting him. And he feels something next to her um, and gets creeped out by it. This is actually a really great scene. It really is. There's a lot that I goes. love this scene so yeah, much. A lot goes on. I think oh, so much. It's a good payoff for those that have been like thinking that it's been a slow burn and finally you're getting some excitement in there. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, because it, it, it's it's kind of one of those scenes where it feels like like you feel like something is going to happen, mm-hmm. but you're not too sure what's going to happen. Right. But like, I just, I just, I really, really like this scene a lot. Um, but I like to think that it was never anything paranormal at all. Hmm. That I like to think that a few of the the members were there, just kind of helping her out, fucking around with her. You think so? To kind of make her think that this was real. Okay. I mean, but, a lot of know. the other stuff happens later on in her house, though. That's why I think it's real. And I feel like, yeah, even if right. she was skeptical, she like looks under the table, which is hilarious because we see that later on, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But I love yeah. that you said that you love this scene, too, because this is one of my favorite scenes in this movie, too, because of the fact like you think nothing's really going to happen that's too grand of scale. But this is where the movie, yeah. out of nowhere, just picks up dramatically. It's like tons of stuff that's happening. But yeah, we'll, we'll break it down mm-hmm. right now. Yes. She starts looking around the room and back at Joan. Joan tells Louis uh, to try and slide the glass if he is there. Uh, the glass moves from underneath her, uh, their hands and Joan starts to smile and laugh while Annie screams from the action. Um, it's like a gasp. Like a gasp scream. Joan is saying hi to Louie while Annie is is uh, asking her how she did that. Annie is ignored, um, so she looks underneath the table, but nothing there. Joan tells Louie uh, that she is going to ask him s- some questions um, and to slide the glass to the right if the answer is yes and sl- uh, left if no. And I love how Joan is looking off into a corner instead of around. Yeah. Like it, it really helps the believability I, for sure. I totally agree with you. Um, the glass starts to move to the right when Joan asks if she if he understands. She then begins um, asking a list of questions with the uh, while the camera slowly plant, pans closer to Annie's face, and then something blows on her hair, freaking her out. <laughs> Joan uh, tells her that it is okay, trying to slightly calm her down. Joan tells Louis um, that she uh, brought his chalkboard, sitting it on the table, asking him to write something. The chalk begins to write, I love you, Granny, and Joan yells it uh, yells it back at him. Annie completely freaked freaked the fuck out, apologizes, and uh, and asks for her to stop. And I love Joan's reaction. She's like, what? <laughs> uh, Joan looks at her in surprise and tells her what. Annie is trying to tell her um, that this is a lot, but stammers over her words. Joan tells Louie that they are going to stop for a second, and she'll be right back, and turns on the lights, letting her know that's exactly how she reacted. Annie is uh, is beginning to panic and just wants to leave at this point. I don't fucking blame her. Joan blows out the candle and grabs a paper out of the drawer and uh, goes back to Annie. Joan tells her that uh, tells her if she would like to try this um, on her own, light a candle, then choose an item that belonged to Charlie, and th- uh, that will be her link to her. Annie doesn't want to accept it, but starts to take some deep breaths. Uh, then tells her to read this paper out loud. Annie um, asks her why and what is it. Joan tells her that she doesn't know what language it is, but the medium um, uh, t- asked her to read it first. It was, uh, and it is to get things started. She instructs Annie that everyone needs to be in the house, um, and that is very important, and tells her, okay, well, getting the fuck out of there. Joan tells her that she didn't kill her, um, causing her to stop and look back, asking her what, and she tells Annie, 
um, that she isn't gone. <sighs> Y'all, this scene. Damn, what a heavy scene, though. It really is. Like this is, this is such a fun, fun way to show. Initially, I guess a poltergeist. Like it's it's very, not a poltergeist. Excuse me. A, 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 something is there mm-hmm. initially. It's just so fascinating. Cut to Annie driving in her car back with home with tears in her eyes until she hears a, cl- a tongue click in her ear, startling her, causing her to burst into tears even more. Damn, dude. Bro, that's like haunting of Hill House scare right there. Yeah. It's so good. What I really appreciate is that it seems like things are ramping up at this point. And even that the click, right? The It lets you know that like a door has been opened because I don't think prior to this moment we hear it, do we? We do. Oh, we do? Okay, never mind. Yeah, Peter. Peter. That's Peter right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Annie is in bed trying to go to sleep with Steve as- um, already asleep. Uh, she is tossing and turning the notices ants that are on her pillow and bedding. These are big-ass ants, dude. <laughs> yeah, they are. I was like, is this a Utah God, thing? No, you're right. You know, the, the big ass ants, man. Uh, she looks in the corner like they're kind of scary. She looks in the corner and sees the insects crawling all over the walls through a slit in the window. She gets out of the bed, following the trail of ants leading into leading to Peter's room. She slowly walks into the uh, room and notices Peter's face covered with ants um, coming out of his mouth. Uh, she tries to let out a scream, but it it is completely inaudible. Also, just another beautiful thing. Peter wakes up and calls out to her, asking her what she's doing. She asks uh, what's going on, and he tells her that she is sleepwalking. She apologizes and asks if Charlie is there. He asks why she's scared of him, and she questions it, then tells him that she never wanted him. To, she never wanted to be his mother. He asks why, and she tells him that she was scared, and that uh, that she never felt uh, like a mother, but she, referring to her mom, pressured her. I fucking love this man like i once again it's like word vomit yeah you know i wanted to ask you guys what do you think overcame her do you think because it's just part of i guess her dreaming or is it something is taking a hold of her to spout out these words what is it i just think it's her subconscious yeah being truthful to her i think so too i think it's just her like inner thoughts coming out but at the same time i think it's because she is still technically asleep still Right. Got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think it's just her overthinking everything and seeing her own like son die. It's like, oh, I technically didn't even want you. I was forced by my mother, which gives us even more context of the other mother's intentions were and stuff like that, too. And you can kind of see. I see as kind of a little symbolic is that she sees her son being eaten inside out because of the situation. So it's like literally ants are coming out of him. It's like. He's literally getting eaten from the inside out, which is crazy. It's a great metaphor. Yeah, it's a great way to look at that. Peter starts uh, crying, asking, why does she save him? And I love the way he said that. Like That's just so interesting how, how that's worded. Why does she save him? She tells him that um, it wasn't her fault and that she tried to stop it. <laughs> he asked how. She tells him that she tried to have a miscarriage, and he asked her again. 
She tells him however she could. All the things they told her not to do, she would do, but it didn't work. And that she's happy it didn't work. Peter starts to cry, telling her that she tried to kill him. While uh, she is uh, talking over him, telling him that she loves him. And talking over her, and him talking over her, asking her why did she try to kill him. At this point, they are both dripping wet with paint thinner doused on top of them. She's telling him that she didn't. Uh, that she didn't and she and that she was trying to save him and then a match lights setting them both ablaze and he wakes up from this nightmare she's in her bathroom reciting the incantation while everyone is asleep and it's just uh, so interesting and uh, if you listen to the incantation uh, payment's name pops up oh really i tried turning it up but i didn't catch that Mm mm-hmm Annie wakes up Peter while uh, while right on top of him, calling his name, telling him to wake up. He's startled, he's startled awake, and she begins to apologize to, uh, to him, asking him for forgiveness. He forgives her, and she gives him a quick hug. She, yeah, she gives him a quick hug, then excitedly tells him to come come with her so they can uh, do something. He tells her uh, that he. Excuse me. He tells her that he was having a nightmare, but she tells him it, it is okay and that they are going to do something. And I'm I'm very curious as to, what's, as to what his nightmare was. Yeah, like I I assume his nightmare was probably just a longer version of Annie's. Maybe but, that's a very good idea. Yeah, Peter asks um to do what, and she simply says uh, that she figured it out and to come with her. She leaves. She leaves him to wake up. Uh, she leaves him to wake up, Steve, and tell and to and tells him to come downstairs so they can try something together. They head downstairs. And uh, you get this incredible shot of the display of, of these homes stacked on top of each other um, with the Graham's home on top. And I just I think of that as another metaphor um, of initially lineage. I, I just picture that as being the lineage of uh, this family yeah. initially. Uh, Peter nervously calls out to his dad and Steve tells him that it is okay. They are slowly going towards Annie and she is excitedly rushing them to hurry to the table. Uh, Annie is about to start and Steve tells her that it is freezing in there and starts walking towards the window. She yells for him to sit down and that uh, they can't change anything in their surroundings because she doesn't want to mess it up. Annie tells him that uh, her friend Joan taught her how to do this. Steve asks who that is. He's like, who, who the fuck's Joan? Mm-hmm. Uh, but sh- uh, she ignores it and continues giving them instructions for the re- for the uh, seance. She tells them that they need their palms on the table and their fingers to touch impatient steve asks what are they doing here she tells him that uh that they will see and to come over and sit with her they are both quiet and she pleads for them to trust her still silence man i love steve in this moment (laughs) like you can tell like he's he's really over any shit at this point in time after the blow up at the table towards, I guess, uh, Peter, he just felt like, okay, like, I'm done. Can you blame him, though? Thing. And especially because no. the way Annie is trying to describe everything and kind of convince them, she seems so sporadic. She seems like she's lost it. Right. And, sorry, excuse me, that's a yawn. And she kind of, she kind of did. Yeah. Right? Like. Like granted, even though, yeah, it worked and and so on and so forth, 
she kind of lost it because of her obsession with her grief towards Charlie. Yeah, exactly. So, interesting. She gets up, moving the table towards them, and irritatedly tells them uh, that they could do it over there. She grabs their hands and tells them to concentrate. Peter asks on what, and she tells them Charlie. Steve shakes his hand away uh, from hers, irritated with the whole thing, and he tells them that she tried this uh, 20 minutes ago, and it worked. And Steve angrily questions her on what worked. She tells him that she just needs to show him and questions that too. Irritated, Annie exclaims that she is a medium and that she is uh, she was seeing apparitions earlier and she shook them off when she shouldn't have. Um, he stares at her and uh, tells her that she – sorry, I had to move this thing um, – he stares at her and tells her that she that uh, she understands how it sounds and that he just needs to see, adding that she is completely lucid. Steve tells uh, Peter to go to bed and Annie tells him no and uh, that they need to all they, that they need all their energies and need to stay th- together. He quickly nods his head and tells him that uh, and looks at his dad. and He's just like, um, I will stay. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm down. I love that. Then she starts pleading to Steve, grabbing his chest, and to um, open, uh, to open to, to be open to this, promising um, the both of them. She extends her hand. He hesitantly slash irritatedly takes it. Then Annie begins going over her mental checklist for the ritual. She says to herself out loud um, that she already read the paper and doesn't think that she needs to do that again. While Steve comments on what language it is, Annie goes back to telling them to try and concentrate. Annie starts calling out to Charlie, asking if she is if she is there and introducing herself. Peter hears something creaking behind him, causing him to nervously look back. Uh, Annie continues telling Charlie, if she is there, that they are going to touch the glass, and she uh, she wanting her to move for them, move it for them. Steve is extremely over this, but Annie ignores him and continues trying to concentrate. Peter blurts out, um, shit, what the hell? And Steve asks him, what? Peter asks if he feels that, but Steve doesn't feel anything. Peter mentions that um, it feels like the air is flexing. We're already getting that boom inside as well for the score. So it kind of works perfectly with this. I love how you described Uh, it, too. it's oh, like the air is flexing because I kind of feel that it's like yeah. you can tell like the air is like becoming abnormal. You're feeling some weird stuff around you. The aura is different. So it's a great way to describe it because you can kind of feel that. What I love about this moment is that Steve doesn't really understand Peter because he doesn't share that bloodline. Right. So clearly with um, Annie's bloodline, there's some, sensitivity towards like anything that is related to this and i think because of that peter can feel it while steve can't right i agree then the glass moves from underneath the center of the table while annie gives her thanks to charlie annie then grabs charlie's uh, notebook and tells her that um she would like for her to show them what she did for her earlier Nothing is happening, but Peter is starting to panic. Steve tells her that uh, that it is enough while closing the notepad, and she yells no while grabbing it back from him, showing him that uh, showing him what Charlie drew earlier. Peter asks her what is that, and she and she yells that it's Charlie. 
then she goes back to asking Charlie if she is finished drawing and that they can keep going. But Steve is telling her to stop it. She grabs her, their hands together. Or excuse me. She grabs their hands again and tells them that they need to keep their keep their hands on the table. But Steve grabs his handbook, telling her that uh, she is uh, scaring Peter. Oh man, I love this scene so much. Like it's so over the top. Yeah, it definitely. But is. I love it. I do too. I love I it. I love Peter's reaction throughout it all. Me too. Um. Uh, she claims that she is not and tries to reassure him um, that it is his sister and there is nothing to be afraid of, but he is starting to hyperventilate. Something inside of the ca- of a cabinet breaks, causing Peter um, to call out to his mom. That's fucking fantastic. And, uh, God, yeah, once again, I just have that immature crowd that would laugh at this scene and it's just, ugh, I don't know. Wasn't a fan. Um, and he calls out to Charlie and asks what's wrong. Then the flame gasses out, causing Peter to get startled backwards. The flame reignites while something comes um, comes over Annie. She calls to look underneath, or excuse me, Steve goes to look underneath the table, but is interrupted by Annie faintly growling. Looking at her, Annie's eyes are closed while her head is slightly slumped, and the growling stops. She is looking around as if she doesn't know. Uh, where she is, then it is Charlie, Charlie's voice calling out with a hello. And I love how you can hear Rexy barking in the background. Yeah. As if someone is there. It's a great touch. So great. Peter calls out to his mom and she repeats it in, an, in her normal voice, asking what is happening. Peter tells his dad that he doesn't like this and, and please stop while Steve is telling his wife to stop this. And he continues uh, swapping her voice, um, her voice and Charlie's calling for her mom. And this is so well done. It's like switching while she's saying the word mom. Mm-hmm. So good because it, it feels like they're both calling for their mom. Charlie calling for hers yeah. and Annie calling for hers. So I really enjoy that. And he continues in the swap in the swapping of her voice in Char in Charlie's uh, calling for her mom and asking them what is happening and why they're st- why is everyone scared. Peter tells his dad again to make it stop. Then she shouts, "Why are you scaring me?" I love this. Peter yells for him to make it stop, make it fucking stop, while Steve runs over to grab something. And he continues screaming, and the uh, and the fluctuation of both her voice and Charlie's. Where's mom? Peter continues to shout for her to stop. So eerie. Steve turns on the light and throws water in Annie's face, causing her to uh, snap out of it and angrily ask him what he's doing while Peter is hysterically crying. Annie starts to realize uh, that she blacked out and asks Steve what happened. What I love is the transitions between, you know, Annie getting overtaken by something. Um, It's not over the top. It's very under the radar. And even when Steve throws the water in her face, it's an immediate transition of like, what happened? You know, like, and it's it's so well done because I think this, this film doesn't want to go with the traditional over the top transformation, but more so of a, a click, a blink, like, and you're something else or something's taking you. I love that. 
yeah, it, it's not taking its time per se when it comes to these uh, particular possessions here. Exactly. Pretty cool. Transition to the mini- miniatures of, of um, her house in, excuse me, transition to the miniatures of, of the house and Peter with Charlie's headless corpse in the car. Then transition to more writing on the wall, uh, Liftoch and Pandemonium. Mm. Uh, Peter is sitting sitting at the foot of his bed, and then it snaps to him sitting in class during the day. You got something, Freddy? Um, yeah, but give me a quick minute. I lost it. Back, I, ha- okay. I have it somewhere. Yeah, okay, for sure. He isn't pay- he isn't paying attention to the teacher. Rather, a light reflection uh, on the ground that shifts above him, behind him, and into the cabinet next to him. He looks next to him, and then slowly looks back at his reflection, smiling back at him in the glass. And then he's startled. By the clicking of Charlie's tongue. I think that was payment in the reflection. Oh, you think so? I do. Okay. Mm. I can see that. I do. And he sits up from his. Oh, go ahead. I do have it. So, uh, Pandemonium. Uh, Pandemonium is associated with Milton's Paradise Lost, as many people have read. It's about hell. As a place that Lucifer creates for those who fall from grace, and with him, Pan, all, and Demon. And am making it a noun. This phrase seems to appear in a couple different spells uh, inside uh, the book of demons, I guess. And it's the right to invoke a demon. And it's like uh, this person said, based on what's happening in the movie, interesting. It appears to be Hebrew and the word lift ok, meaning to open or unlock to turn on. So essentially open up for demons for all. Damn. Hmm crazy damn that's interesting he sits up from his desk and chair and he uh uses the excuse of needing to use the bathroom cut to the uh phone ringing with annie in her workshop she answers it and is steve angrily telling her to guess who just called and him uh incomplete hysterics and he questions if it was charlie and steve questions her um but she tells him never mind and asks what happened damn just once again, like you, like you could tell, like she slightly went off the deep end because of her. I, I guess just because of her interaction with Charlie. Yeah, just super fascinating. It opened a door. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, any qu- oh, excuse me. He tells her that Peter called him terrified, uh, crying in the halls, convinced he is being threatened by some spirit. And he asks, why does he think he's uh, being threatened? And Steve tells her that uh, he has a son to protect. She asks him, what does that mean? Uh, he tells her uh, that is what he's worried. Uh, excuse me. He tells her that it's what he's worried about right now, um, but she cuts him off. She tells him she tells him not to talk to her like this, and that's her son too. But he hangs up on her. I might have hung up too though. <laughs> not gonna lie, I was just like thinking about that. I was like, what I would have. I wonder if I would have hung up on her too, because it was like, like, all right, this is obviously not going anywhere. You're just, you're just not. You're being irrational right now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. It's 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 kind of one of those things where, and I think Freddie, you even said this earlier of, of like, um, him being standoffish towards her and stuff like that based off of the past. But I think that's what he's mainly kind of thinking about again is how she was in the past, right? 
with the sleepwalking episodes and things like that. So I find that very fascinating. She angrily calls him back and leaves him a voicemail telling him not to hang up on her again and that she isn't sleepwalking anymore. Then images up uh, and then hangs up the phone. She sits back down and tries getting back to uh, back to work on the gallery's miniature. Um, the phone starts to ring, but she uh, lets it go to voicemail. She's holding she's holding tight to excuse me. She's holding tight on to a small chair while a man uh, by the name of Patrick from the Archer Gallery is calling her to first see how she she and her family are doing. I think this is Ari Aster talking to you think so. I think so. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he continues saying he continues saying that they uh, they have been in their constant thoughts and prayers, and then mentions that she can postpone the show if needs be, but if not, to let them know how they can support her. Uh, and lend a helping hand. Annie breaks the chair and gets furious and starts wrecking the whole installation. Steve and Peter come home and Steve brings his attention um, brings his attention to something smelling foul in the house. Just beautiful context clue. Um, they kick off their shoes and head upstairs. Steve goes into an into Annie's workshop, asking her what that smell is, and then noticing that she destroyed all her work. Annie is on the floor and and ask him and at, excuse me Annie is on the floor and he asks her what happened here and she tells him that she didn't feel like looking at it anymore. <sighs> Damn. He looks over and sees Peter's figurines uh figurines head of of his body. Um and this is just morbid as all hell. It's like in his bed. Mm-hmm. He's headless and his mom did it. It's and this is further, you know, building evidence for Steve that like she's flipped her lid, right? Like she's snapped and it's like she needs help. And that's actually what Steve may be thinking at this point. And right. so what's soon to come with her making all these accusations of what's actually happening, you can't blame him for reacting the way he does. Oh, for sure. No, seriously. That Yeah, you really can't. That scene where he walks into that room and just like stares at her on the ground with all of the stuff completely destroyed. He doesn't say much for a while, and the camera just stays on him. He just looks yeah. at like the miniatures destroyed, and then it just cuts to right. the next scene. And he's on the couch, essentially. That's crazy. Right. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Cut to Steve downstairs, setting himself up on the couch, taking some pills before calling it a night. And he like goes back and takes more, right? Um, more of these sleeping yeah. pills, I assume. He yeah. keeps taking a bunch. Yeah. Uh, Annie is upstairs and she can't and she can hear a faint scribbling coming from Charlie's room. She heads into her room and the scribbling gets louder. She turns on the light and she notices that a notepad is being drawn on uh, drawn in and the pages are turning by by an unseen force cut to Peter's door being closed. Um, but the camera panning slowly down the uh down from the attic door. Peter is asleep and is awoken by the sound of Charlie's tongue clicking. He opens his eyes and sees Charlie standing in the corner looking at him and he calls out to her, but she stares at him um, until her head rolls off her head or off her body. Whoa. It's such a great scene. It turns into a ball. Such a great scene. Damn, what a scene. I was always curious on why it changed into a ball though. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not too sure on that. I would assume just reflex or cut. 
Yeah. But um, initially, it reminded me of the changeling. Mm. Mm. It reminds like when the ball drops down the stairs. It reminded me of uh, the Conjuring when she's in the basement. Oh like, yeah, mm. that too. It's so interesting that you each said like one of my favorite movies. Nice. That's how we roll. The only thing that would have made it better is if we would have mentioned Hell House. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jaw open. Her, uh, he hears his dog growling and whimpering at the door, but uh, but it it won't come inside. I, I don't know if it was boy or girl. Um, he he is looking at the dog, and then and then these hands grab his face from the from his bed frame. He's struggling to break free, and Rexy is growling until the door slams shut, hitting the dog. Man, poor pup. Yeah. We're looking at Steve, uh, Steve sound asleep while all the uh, commotion um, happening upstairs. Annie is hysterically yelling at Peter. We cut to them. We cut to them. We cut to them upstairs. Annie is asking him what happened and he yells, what, uh, what is she doing? And she doesn't understand. He tells her that she was trying to pull his head off. And I love that. How he said that, like trying to pull his head off because it it was kind of like, that that is what she wanted like the wrong one left yeah or something in her eyes which is fucked up to think about and the the choice of wording is very intentional right for the the dialogue that's created for the scene which is awesome yeah absolutely uh um but she but excuse me he tells her that she is uh, pulling on his head, but she tells him that she wasn't and and that she just came in because he was screaming. Then she asks what uh, what happened to him. He starts sobbing, telling her that he saw Charlie in the corner, and then she stared at him trying to pull. And then, uh, yeah, she stared at him trying to pull his head off. Damn, dude, I I love his acting in this. Like at first, when I first saw it, I was really annoyed with the way he was acting. Same here. But upon retrospectively see, uh, looking back at this, it's quite it, – it makes sense yeah. as to how he reacts. Yep. Like everything is so hysterical and it's just like you just you, – he lost someone that he loved. Yeah. So um, she asked him what corner did he, did she, uh, he see Charlie uh, and starts shuddering he sh- and she tells him – that she is going to end this, but to not mention any of this to his father, she lets him know that uh, lets him know that nothing that something is happening and that she is the only one to, who can stop it. And I wonder if she was. I think like, I think she's being led to believe that she has tapped into something that she could figure out and save everyone from. But she also yeah. feels like she's caused this. But she's just a pawn. She thinks this, but. You know, her fate is already decided. Right. Which is true. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut to Charlie's room. Oh, wait. Yeah. We cut to Charlie's room seeing that, seeing that the pictures of Peter screaming with his eyes crossed out are all over the pages. Annie picks up the book and takes it downstairs to throw it in the fireplace. She chucks the book into, in, into the flames, igniting them as the book catches a blaze. Her coat ignites. She realizes this and tries to pat it out, but she can't seem to uh, get the flames extinguished. Realizing that it is because of the book, she immediately takes out 
uh, takes a poker to grab the book out of the fire and starts stepping on it, trying to uh, stop it from burning. This allows the fire on her sleeve to then go away. Uh, we do this awesome quick cut from night to day. Peter is is uh, coming out of his room and is about to walk down the hall, and he notices his parents' door is cracked. Um, and I love those those cuts when it's like showing daytime and then like cuts to night, like at this at at the click of a tongue. Dude, it it, it builds so much dread inside of me. I don't know why. Like this, it makes me feel like I've been taken out of my consciousness and then placed back yeah. in and all of a sudden like all this time has passed right it, it gives Absolutely. me a lot of anxiety but i think it wants to convey that yeah that makes sense that makes sense and he watches him continue down the hall t- uh, from the other side then we cut we cut to her going to joan's apartment she knocks on the door repeatedly and calls out to joan but no answer the camera is slowly going into joan's apartment and we see the sigil from annie and ellen's necklace a photo of Peter underneath a statue and a larger photo of Peter inside a carved triangle. Ah, man. Uh, it's yeah, such a good scene because dude. it shows so much exposition of like what's actually happening behind the scenes with Joan. But at the same time, like when she goes inside that apartment building and the camera's like upside down following her down the hallway, going right side up, man, great filmmaking. I love those kind of shots too. Yeah, absolutely. He does that again in Midsummer too. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, there, there's a lot of directors yeah. that actually like those kind of shots too and kind of manipulates the framing of like the camera, which is great. Right. It's, right. it's like, yeah, that is great. It's one of those things where a director frames their shots specifically and it's not necessary to be in the film, but it adds a little bit more tension of the scene itself of her frantically trying to figure out what's going on. Like her life is upside down and getting to this door and talking to Joan might fix everything, making her right side up again. It's just like those little things. I'm like, mm-hmm. hell yeah, I see you. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, and he stops and looks down, uh, down at the placement and puts two and two together about Joan knowing her mother. Finally. And he quickly leaves and we see a camera that is watching her. Who do you think's watching her? Do you think it's the cult? A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. I think it's Peter's love interest in high school watching. Oh my oh god. Because old people can't oh understand you, technology. You you really want that to be real. <laughs> you know what? I did find a thread on Reddit that actually proves my point, but there's like it's it's a long stretch. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a bit stretchy. Yeah, I mean, they show like her Facebook page when he's researching her, and there's like a photo in there that kind of looks like the sigil, like the little symbol. But I was like, eh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's close, but it's not exactly right. But there's other evidence that people talk about in the comments. But I was like, it's possible. People talk about it. Just saying. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I just I just don't see it. Like like she wasn't she didn't do anything like like i feel like she just did she wasn't really well she was like there uh, except for to get them to the right place at the right time to set the stuff in motion i feel like she's only like pivotal for that for two moments in the entire film though yeah but that might be the only importance that she needed to be in maybe i don't know i just see it just seems like like she just doesn't do enough to like if anything the fucking chicks inside the kitchen were the ones part of the cult like (laughs) 
But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, besides the point, Peter's at school sitting at a lunch table and uh, with his lunch tray in front of him, but he is not eating his food, rather starting uh, staring blankly. He at, His attention turns when he hears a woman in the distance calling his name. He looks around and hears it again and notices Joan across the street. She yells that she expels him, then yells, uh, Zatini, Dagdani, a paragon, and yells for him to get out. This causes him to look around nervously before cutting um, back to Annie inside her her destroyed workshop going inside her mother's belongings. She grabs the floor mats and uh, that her mother made for her and her father, then grabs another box. She finds a book with the same sigil before uh, as before on it, and she quickly skims through it. But it is a, it is in a different language. She picks up another book um, in invocations. Um, uh, and opens to opens to a saved page of a man riding on a camel with three shrunken women heads on his side. The highlighted excerpt reads: King Payman, God of Mischief, when successfully invoked, King uh, King Payman will possess the most vulnerable host. Only when the ritual is complete will King Payman be uh, locked into his ordained host. Once locked in, a new ritual is requested to unlock the possession. The underlined section uh, reads, For these reasons, it is imperative to remember that King Payment is a male, thus covetous of a male human body. She's breathing heavy, turning the page uh, to an image of a man sitting on uh, top of treasures that reads, Riches to the Conjurer. Dude. What an intense like thing to read and i was i was skimming a little bit more there are some things that are uh, slightly cut off in the frame uh in those pages but right it was it, it mentions what happens if he's in a female body right that oh, he's pretty much say? uh mad or something like that right the host varied and he right. becomes very livid and vengeful when offered a female host for those reasons it's imperative to remember that king payman is a male thus covid of a male human body. Uh, covetous. Covetous of a male human body is what the pastor says. Yeah. So it's like the fact that that kind of harkens more to my point of him being inside Charlie always of her, like that's why she's probably acts so weird and is so strange towards everyone else. I love that. I love the context of that. Yeah. So... I'm just saying, man. I don't know. I don't believe Bridget's uh, this little side story, but I believe mine. <laughs> <laughs> Annie throws that book aside and picks up a, a photo book while looking inside. She is seeing faces of many people that she hasn't seen before. But then it comes across uh, many images of Joan. I'm going to start kind of blazing through this, everybody. Just a little heads up. We are running pretty late <laughs> but uh annie begins to cry when she sees photos of her mother with all of these uh people surrounding her dropping riches over her head she then sees a family photo and another group ritualistically worshiping their family photo what a fucking genius thing to add in this movie damn that is all creepy i who knew that would that would be creepy but damn it worked 
Peter is walking down the halls uh, of the school, paranoid when that shimmer of a reflection passes over him. Like I said, I think that's payment. Uh, Steve is in his office uh, writing an email to one of his colleagues about his wife in the midst of a psychotic break. He stops typing when he receives an email from Spring Blossom uh, Cemetery about the status of Ellen's gravesite. He clicks on it and the cemetery folk showing him images of the dug up gravesite discussing the statues or the status, the status of insurance uh, for his uh, for the excuse me. The status of his insurance claim for the damages. Annie is holding a f- the photo book and goes over to the attic door, opening it. Flies immediately shoot out of the lid, and she cringes from the smell, but heads up anyway. Once she is up there, she grabs a flashlight, holding her mouth in front of her nose, moving the flashlight around to see where the smell is coming from. She shines her light at something in the corner of the room, and it is a bloated blackish body on the ground surrounded by flies and one candle meanwhile peter is in class not able to focus annie goes up to uh to get a closer look at the body and she notices that it is headless but wearing a white dress with the sigil embroidered all over it she starts to retch at the sight and the smell and catches her breath she turns back around and points the light at the uh on the wall above and the sigil is imprinted in her mother's blood peter's paranoia is getting the better of him as he hears charlie's clicking through his ear he is looking around constantly to see uh where it is coming from he looks forward for a moment and he forcefully raises his hand but like someone is puppeteering his movements his teacher thinks he is about to ask a question but he notices that something is actually wrong with him bridget and another classmate look at him and their face showcase concern and confusion while the teacher is asking him if he is all right peter's hand is still in the air but his face is slightly stretched eye pink and lip pulled up slightly as he is in the midst of some sort of reverse stroke i don't know how to really explain it but he lets out a slight click with his tongue and starts groaning faintly while Bridget is asking if he can breathe. And I fucking love this, man. Like, this scene alone is just... It's disturbing, cool. right? Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's terrifying. But this scene alone is just so worth all of what we went through to get here. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I love this scene. And I remember uh, talking to Ryan about this movie. Um, and I showed him just this scene. And just this scene alone, he was like, oh, fuck, I need to see this movie. <laughs> I don't think he still has seen it yet. But I would I will love to hear his thoughts on this movie. But damn, it's a fucking great movie. Uh, Brendan's slightly uh, oblivious. Ask him, what is he doing? He's like, what are you doing, dude? It's like, dude, fuck the fuck off. I know. I thought the same thing. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Peter violently slams his, his face on the table, then cuts back to his uh, previous position and slams his face again, letting out a visceral scream afterwards. His entire class, teacher included, are all watching him with pure horror on this face. And I love it how there's just one kid who's literally sitting right in front of him. Um, who's like not phased at all. <laughs> He's just like looking at him like, what the fuck? Like, bro, relax. And there's another dude in the corner who's recording him. So great. 
Cut back to the house. The phone is ringing from the West High uh, High School calling, but Annie doesn't answer the phone. She is waiting outside for her husband to come home. Cut to Steve sitting with a glass of scotch in his hand while the uh, rain uh, pours outside his window. He gets a call and we cut we uh, cut to him driving his car uh, with Peter in the back seat with bandages over his broken nose, passed out. Um, and I even put arrows like, so it just stops raining and the ground isn't wet, but their car has beads of water on it. All right. <laughs> um, he is looking back at his son in the rearview mirror and doesn't notice the red light um, right away and slams his brakes to avoid running the light. He sits there for a moment and finally has an opportunity to sob, missing the light turning green. Uh, Steve pulls up to the house Annie runs outside slightly crying but Steve continues driving up the driveway she notices Peter in the backseat and is asking what happened to him repeating no 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 she asks Steve who did that to him and he tells her that Peter apparently did it to himself smashed his face into his own desk Steve opens the uh, back door uh, trying to help Peter out of the car and Annie is telling him to wait and listen, uh, listen to her he tells her to take his feet they put him in the bed, um, and t- and she tells him that she went up in the attic while she, and she went up into the attic while he was gone, and she tells him and continues telling him that there is a body upstairs, and she thinks it's her mom. She tells him that she can't really tell because the skin is all black and her head is gone, but she cries for him to go upstairs and have a look. Steve doesn't say anything, but he he just looks at her and walks past her, grabbing the rod to open the attic door. And he tells him that there's more, and he sarcastically tells her that of course there is. Um, uh, then just... Oh, excuse me. He says, uh, he tells, he sarcastically tells her, of course, there is more uh, than just her mother's headless body. He pulls open the door, allowing the flies to, uh, allowing the flies and smell to escape. He goes up the ladder to check it out for himself. Um, and he runs downstairs to the fireplace and throw paper inside it. Steve starts to scream above and he runs back to him and tells him that there is more while trying to do while trying to show him the photo album. Steve is asking who the fuck is up there and why didn't she phone the police? (laughs) She tells him that the police can't help them anymore. Um, she continues asking him if he remembers Joan. Steve is ignoring her question and tells her that it didn't, it did look like her mother is up there. Annie is trying to tell him that Joan taught her the seance and she didn't want to uh, want to, but she brought her grandson back. She goes up to him, trying to show him the album to uh, show him Joan. He doesn't look at the images instead, instead is staring at Annie and she is going on about her theories. And it's interesting because he's never even met Joan. So like, for him, he could even still think like even if he looked at those photos, he's just like, that could be fucking anybody. Yeah, like what? Exactly. I don't know who Joan is. But that's that's further helping the cause or the idea that he thinks that she's just lost it. Right. Definitely does. She continues telling him that Joan never mentioned knowing Ellen and that she has never met Joan before and she approached Annie. Annie shows him another photo with the necklace that they're both wearing, telling him uh, that they were wearing it in every photo. She tells him that uh, tells him to look at the pattern and that this pattern is painted above the body with blood. Steve is still staring at Annie and asks her if she was uh, the one who dug up the grave. She doesn't understand, but he thinks he is uh, creating something rational. 
Annie tells him that that he isn't listening. She throws the book on the ground and tells him to listen to her. She tells she goes on saying that she knows that he doesn't trust her and uh, that there is nothing that she can do about that. But they put a curse on them when they brought Charlie back. Annie tells him that they uh, made a pact with something, something that is in this house, and it is after Peter. She brings out the notepad, telling him that she watched these pages fill up on their own and that they are all Peter. Annie starts to cry and tells him that she doesn't know what to do. Uh, what she what she did, but Peter is in danger, and she started it. She grabs his shoulder, uh, but he pulls away. He continue. She continues telling him that if they destroy the book, it will take her too. She continues telling him that she tried to burn it herself, but her arm caught fire, and it will. And it is, um, it is. Why did I write it like that way? I don't know why I wrote it like that. But she initially said that it's linked to her. Steve starts walking, but uh, stops when she tells him that they don't destroy the book, but uh, but can't com- can't complete it, and ask him if he understands. She pleads for him to go downstairs uh, with her for Peter. Once they are downstairs, she tells him that th- that it needs to be her, and that it is her fault, and she needs him to uh, throw the notepad in the fire. She tells him that. She can't do it herself because she is too scared. But if they don't do it, it is going to be their son. Oh, man. It's a crazy scene. I've, dude, this whole, just like David said, this whole 20 minutes is fucking gnarly. It's insane. She repeatedly pleads for him to throw the book into the fire, but he doesn't say anything to her, only stares. And he pleads for him to to take the book, and he, he, does then she tells him to listen to her but she can't but she can't complete what she said uh uh to say without sobbing oh man she pulls him in by his collar telling him that he is uh the love of her life then caresses his face while kissing him telling him that she loves him so much and shortly adding peter um in her love and uh, this is like where we officially see her giving that affection mm-hmm. so it, it, and it's interesting this is what I, this is initially what I, I i wanted to see from her earlier on i guess but i mean we see it now because she thinks she's about to die that she's going to sacrifice right. herself for her family something that she probably thought she couldn't believe that she was capable of but here she is right she's thinking she's going to make yeah. a commendable sacrifice right yeah while crying she pleads for him for him to throw it in the fire, he nods his head and walks over to the fireplace. He turns around and tells her that he is not going to do this with her anymore. He continues telling her that it isn't helpful for her and that she is sick and that he needs to call the police. She shakes her head and runs over, grabbing the book, chucking it into the fire, but she doesn't catch a blaze. Instead, Steve does. Steve is screaming while his body is being engulfed in flames, and Annie watches him in shock. Until that shivering light forces her to drop her face into nothingness. What a fantastic twist, right? So um, good. Because you're really led to believe and set up to believe that she is linked to the notebook. But in reality, that's not the case and that could change. And that she did this to him. Um, I like to mm-hmm. think that um, the spirits at play here are just, you know damaging her emotionally and her well-being so that she can be overtaken and that moment where yeah. it's this is just so devastating to her she's vulnerable and um 
she can be invaded. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Hmm. Cut to the outside of the house during the day in a quick cut at night with uh, all these naked people standing outside of the front of their house. Wow. Just all these naked people. My favorite all part. The house. No, I'm just kidding. Love it. <laughs> Peter wakes up and touches his nose, causing him to groan. He looks over to the over at the treehouse and sees the glowing ember light. He is in bed calling for his mom. He, we can slightly see her in the top left corner of the wall floating. Utilizing the darkness. Be- oh, man. Dude, it was so fantastic. So fantastic. I don't know if you guys have seen those uh, those jokes of those people who did this to, like, their friend or whatever inside the bathroom. Like, when they would go in the bathroom, they would be- just be chilling on top of their wall. It's like, what? No, I've never seen that. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. It's, it's Not once. Fucking terrifying. I would, I would kill somebody. Um... Peter doesn't see her, but he calls out to his mom and dad, no answer. He slowly gets out of bed, sitting on the edge, and hears, and hears faint footsteps running. He looks up at his window and, and sees that their, their floodlight came on. Uh, and I, I put here that never noticed that, that they briefly slightly brightened her in the corner so we can initially be able to see her there. Yeah. Uh, um, Peter slowly looks behind him and he crawls through the air sli- silently leaving the room. My favorite. That's literally my favorite oh, part so of the entire good. movie. So good. Yeah, well, my my uh, showing was just really oh, immature on so this sorry. one too. No way. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was bummed. They were they definitely were just like they're like like what this bitch blah 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 and I was like Bro, shut the fuck up, dude. Wish I was watching this at the Alamo Draft House. Damn. <laughs> Kick your ass out. Peter gets up and walks down the dark hall. Um, he goes into his parents' room, calling for them. He is startled by a loud bang and clattering in the house. He calls out with a hello, but uh, sees nothing. The floorboards above start to creak, and he quickly uh, slams the door to the room in front of him. Peter goes downstairs, uh, calling for his mom while walking into the living room. He looks around the disheveled room and sees his dad's burnt body on the ground. Peter goes in to get a closer look, and we can uh, clearly see that Annie is above him in this uh, on the ceiling. Peter starts to cry, but stops when he hears wood creaking around him. He slowly turns his head and notices a naked man standing in the corner, smiling. The same naked man. Uh, the same man who was smiling at Charlie earlier in the beginning of the film. Peter is staring at him, but his uh, ad- his attention turns once he hears a thud. And then his mom comes out of a corner, chasing him up the stairs. <laughs> so fucking good. I think that's so the moment scary. where like a lot a vampire. of jump, right? So good. That's a great jump scare. Yeah. Oh, yeah and it it's not cheesy or cheap either. No. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, he runs... He runs up the attic ladder, uh, pulling it up and closer to the door, locking it. Uh, there's a ra- his rapid banging on the door, and Peter is telling his mom to please stop while apologizing to her. He starts to sob while begging for her to stop, and we get a glimpse of how she's uh, rapidly banging on the door. She's banging on the door rapidly with her head against the attic door. Upside down. And this scene is just so, so fucking crazy. intense. I love it. Love this so scene. Crazy. Love this scene. Oh. My God, this scene is so. This, like you said, David, this whole twenty minutes, chef kiss. Mm-hmm. Man. 
finally, the knocking stops, and Peter calls out to her once more, but no answer. He looks around the attic and notices that all of these candle, all these candles are lit around him and with flies buzzing about. He looks at the corner where his grandmother laid, but she isn't there. Instead, there are candles outlining the area with and with remnants of her body being there. He uh, moves closer to the location and we get a small glimpse of a woman standing behind him naked. He looks down and sees his picture, sees his picture with holes over his eyes. He forcibly shuts his eyes while breathing heavily, telling himself that he just needs to wake up while slapping his face. Did you guys ever notice a woman behind him? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was just like, Ooh, oh man. <laughs> Creepy. I was wondering, too, like, if there were other people just, like, chilling around. Yeah, I was looking around for them at this point. Yeah. Peter stops when he hears the sound of flesh tearing. Um, The sound is coming from above. It is his mother floating in the air, looking straight down at him, taking a piano wire back and forth around her neck. She's going faster, trying to sever her own head. Now, this, however, in theaters was fucking fantastic. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. This was fantastic. This this part here shut everyone up. <laughs> and I'm so glad it did. Because the way it happened when you first heard it, it was like 3D sound. Ooh. Like you heard it on the right side of the room, then you heard it on the left. Yeah. And then you heard it behind you. And it was, yeah. oh my God, it was so good. I was good. about to say that. It's like so sound good. design on this it's uh it's brutal beautiful and it's beautiful yeah yeah as a horror movie this is the best you can actually expect for for such a traumatic scene of what you're seeing and you're just hearing it and like you said slowly first and then faster and faster and faster and visually you see a little bit of blood like gush out to the side and you're like oh that's what she's doing because it's like still like well lit but it's yeah it's like what are you doing up there it's like you're not seeing it you're just seeing her move her hands and then all of a sudden you see the gust of blood pop out and you're like oh i know what she's doing now this is fucking gnarly yeah it's a great scene yep he is staring at her but turns his attention to something clicking in the corner three naked people are standing in the corner while she is starting to sever her head even faster one of them who was smiling is also the same lady who waved at Charlie earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. Peter screams and jumps through the window, falling down into the garden. And I love how you can continually hear Annie sawing off her head until you hear the thud. So good. <laughs> the camera slowly spirals down towards him while a little misty orb bellows into Peter's back. He slowly lifts uh, his head and looks at his mom's headless body float into the treehouse. But this part lost the whole crowd again. He gets up off the ground and clicks his tongue, signifying that this is no longer Peter, but Charlie. And I'm, uh, I also want to add here, I didn't need the clarification that the dog died. Yeah, me either. I didn't, I didn't need I that. I agree with you. Yeah, I, 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 didn't need, I didn't need that clarification. I, I, I could have easily just, like, because the dog I, was almost forgettable that I could have just, I've said, like, oh, Cool, the dog How dare you? just ran away. Yeah. But now you're Not just hurting me to hurt me. The dog right. is so rememberable because he was so brave enough to be like, I'm out of this house and left. And he lived a happy life afterwards. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I wanted. But no, it said they gave me clarification yeah. that no one survived in this film. <laughs> Sad. 
Charlie walks towards the treehouse and notices three more nude people standing in the darkness, smiling at them. They climb up the ladder and on all these people are kneeled. All are naked except for one, Joan. Charlie uh, turns around to see that they are kneeled in front of a statue with the sigil on it and Charlie's decayed head on top of it. And I love the symbolism of the pigeon that Charlie made earlier, signifying what she always saw herself as. They look at a statue mesmerized and then notice her mother and grandmother's severed bodies kneeling in front of the statue as well. She, uh, she can see uh, a picture of her grandma on the on the wall that reads Queen Lee. Joan gets up behind them, takes down the crown and puts it on their head. On uh, uh, one last shot at Ellen and Annie's body before Joan tells Charlie that it's all right. Telling Charlie Charlie that they are they are right, saying that she is Payman, one of the eight kings of hell. She continues, quote, We have looked forward to the north looked towards the northwest and called you in. We've corrected your first female body um, and give you now this healthy male host. We reject the Trinity and pray devoutly to you, great Payman. Give us your knowledge. Uh, give us your knowledge of all secret things. Bring us honor, wealth, and good familiars. Bind all men to our will, as we have bound ourselves for now and ever to yours. She starts to chant of hell payment, while the others follow suit, and while they just stand in the middle. Then, credits. What a ride! Wow. Whoa. Crazy. That fucking movie, y'all. Damn, man, I really enjoy Hereditary. I I I find this movie just to be really really fun. Ugh. It's a uh, anyway. I got some movie facts. Movie facts. Movie facts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Before we go into that, you had something, uh, uh, David. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a film that definitely makes you feel the the heaviness throughout it all. Um, I think it does a really good job of like grasping you with like all the negative feelings that are associated with this um, because it really feels like uh, you're being, this family's being invaded and it feels like it's being done in a very uh, malicious way. And I feel like you feel that malice coming out of the screen. So I just wanted to add that. Oh yeah. 100%. No, I feel that. I completely agree with that. I have to say definitely. This is that. another great choice Prince for this month for family drama because thanks. Man. Yeah. I feel like they had some traumatic <laughs> moments in this movie. Uh, like I said, it's oh, yeah. well shot. It's well directed. The musical score is great. The acting is phenomenal. It's Fantastic. one of those movies where it's like so good. you can really appreciate it, even if you don't see the entertainment value into it. I do find the second yeah. time watching it, knowing how the movie plays out, it felt like a better watch for me. And it has a lot of good That's replayability, fair. too, because knowing some of the stuff that happens later on in the film... When you rewatch it from the beginning, you're like picking out all of the different stuff that like alluded to it. So it's definitely right. a great movie for Absolutely. Family Trauma Month. Family is where hell is, and they made it to one of the kings of hell. So payment, goddamn. Oh, man. Damn. Couldn't have said it better myself. But Ari Aster requested that Alex Wolf and, and Millie Shapiro go out to eat in character a few times, and they sit. Um, and they would sit for up to three hours in silence while uh, Millie, is it Miley? Probably Miley. Miley wouldn't speak, and Alex would try to get her to talk. Wow, that's very, very interesting to hear. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I always hear that Alex Wolf is very method when it comes to his acting. Mm-hmm. He just gets really in the zone and he becomes and the character. He becomes the character. I mean, I, and I hear Tony Collette just like she just knows how to turn it on, and turn it off. Yeah. Like she, that scene where she's hysterically crying and they call cut and she's, she just was like, all right, cool. <laughs> What's next? Uh, so just, I like when actors can them. turn it on and off like that. I know there's some yeah, actors seriously. and actresses where they uh, get so engrossed to the character that they're becoming that it becomes a part of them and it it's, it has an emotional burden on them. And that's just so sad to hear sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ari Aster wanted any effect that could be done practically to be done that way instead of in post-production. So most of the film was practical. Yeah. Uh, according to Alex Wolf, the original cut of the film could e- could have easily pushed over three hours. Uh, the cut footage mostly consisted of more family dialogue. Just like I personally would have loved to have seen that. Three hours, just like this podcast episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like this podcast episode. Oh, my God. Uh, this is our second longest episode yet. <laughs> I think our us episode is a little bit longer. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm only going to do maybe two more and then we're, we're wrapping on up because I got to go Mimi's. I got work in the morning. Uh, anyway, uh, what's a good one? This is a good one. The primary direction Ari Aster gave composer. Oh, no, I said that one earlier, actually. Uh, shit. Oh, this is actually <laughs> a really good one. Tony Collette. Um, uh, Annie is 22 years younger than her on-screen husband played by Gabriel uh, Byrne. Oh, damn. Wow. He looks good for his age. He looks yeah. great. Yeah. Hell yeah. He looks great. Um, Ari Aster had originally wrote this film to be a straight up family drama dealing with the grief and loss uh, one experiences with the death of a close family member. But Aster saw the potential of turning the film into a horror story and rewrote the script to what it what it is now. Had the this remained a family drama, uh, Midsummer would have been his first horror film like he initially intended it to be. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah, for real. Uh, take the uh, route yeah. they did absolutely absolutely oh man y'all what a film i absolutely love this movie so much <laughs> i really really do but let us know on twitter what you think about hereditary i know i, I popped up a few questions about it um uh last month or so but uh let us know let us know what you what you feel about this movie because i definitely am intrigued by your guys' thoughts. Yeah. But next month, we have a brand new month coming up for you guys with uh, December Steadfast. Christmas is coming, all that jazz, but we're not doing Christmas films this year. We are going to do Isolation Month. Will they be in the snow? I don't know. <laughs> but our first movie that we do have is called 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I'm very excited I can't wait. to discuss. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for that. But our isolation horror month, our isolation month is actually going to be dubbed "No One Can Hear You," which I'm very excited that I came up with that name. So yes, you're welcome. Thank you, everyone. I'll accept, uh, you know, postcards and shit. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spooky, everyone. He is tired. You can hear his voice. <laughs> and other in there, we have Freddie. We will keep on staying spoopy. 
Yes, we will. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's like with the what? Okay. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlife.